5021 David, we got a fender down and two GSWs to the chest. I need you to meet us at Molly's. <laughs> For the most powerful podcast on the planet. Ladies and gentlemen, I go by the name of Leroy Hawkins, and if you're not listening, you obviously ain't learning. Copy that. gonna be all sunshine and roses but i can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Meet Us, Mo- Meet Us at Molly's, episode 213. Um, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Bryna. Um, Gina is unfortunately not here tonight, but that is okay because I have one of my favorite people in the world filling in for her, Rachel Becker. Rachel, how are you? Hi, I'm excited to be here. Yes. Yeah, so Rachel has never joined us for a recap before, but she was the MC for our One Chicago Winter Olympic Games crossover thing that we did a few weeks back so you guys have heard her before just not in a recap format but I'm glad you're finally joining us for a recap we've been telling you for a while we're like Rachel you're coming on you're coming on this is happening and now it is actually happening and it's only been three one Chicago Wednesdays I've even been fully caught up yes I was just gonna get you ask you that so you just finished binging all three shows it took you how long what like five months right I think I started on like Labor Day weekend and was finished by like mid-January that's such an accomplishment because that's a lot it's a lot of tv I remember the point when I had gone through a hundred episodes of like between fire and pd and it I like looked at the amount of time it had like taken to get through a hundred episodes I was like uh no it's a lot yeah it's a lot I mean I thought it was a lot like so when I binged fire had just done season four PD had just done season three and Ned had only just done season one and I thought that was a lot of television because it was like that's still eight seasons of television like that's still a lot and it's a 22 episode show it's not like your normal binge these days of like eight or ten episodes like we're doing all 22 yeah, it's crazy. But I am curious, like now that you've gotten to the part where you're like enjoying when Chicago Wednesdays, like as the experiences they are, like, what has that been like for you, you know, joining them? So I would say I'm learning a lot because this is the <laughs> first time in probably six or seven years that I've watched TV live, like live for real. Right. A couple things I would watch live, like a show that like I'm really into once in a while. I'm like, I'm watching it live. Mm-hmm. but a this one is like there's a whole community with it so you want to stay caught up on twitter and i'm one of those people who doesn't want to miss details so i like get behind by like three or four minutes and then twitter spoils something and i can't focus like it's a lot yeah and then when so you i'm think, getting like, used to watching tv live again i was gonna say and then when you factor in like people's instagram posts and the stories and the this and the yeah it's it's a lot. And I feel like I, it's yeah. become way more of an event since even I started, of course, because back then they were all three on separate nights. So like it wasn't like the whole, you know, when Chicago Wednesday or whatever. But yeah, it's definitely an event for sure. This week I decided to stay off Twitter and just watch because I wanted to be prepared for this. Um, and I think that might be the way to go for me. Like if a yeah. big moment happens, I can pop on during the commercials and tweet. But like that way when I am three minutes behind it's okay yeah and then I can catch up on the Twitter fun after it's over 
Um, yeah, and that like you said, you can, always, better. you can always do it in commercials. You can always do it, you know, whenever. Yeah, for sure. But I kept getting stressed when like I didn't actually get a commercial because I was fast forwarding to catch up. And I'm like, I really just want to go get some water. I really want to go to the bathroom, but like I don't want to pause and fall behind. Yeah. Um, sure. But it's fun. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have, we're going to jump right into the news guys. We don't have a ton, just a few episode descriptions. Rachel, do you, have you even seen episode descriptions? Cause we were talking about it last night in regards to PD and I, you were asking me how I knew a theory or what, how I knew it, like the theory. And I was like, Oh, episode descriptions. You were like, wait, what? So like, do you, for any show, I guess, do you pay attention that closely or is it just like, no. So I think I told you this, but like I remember reading episode descriptions like when I was a teenager out of TV Guide. So like, right. I know what they are. I will read them on like my DVR, like on the DVR, but I right. don't ever look ahead. Um, I watch trailers. Like I have no problem with like knowing. I just yeah. don't. It doesn't occur to me that they're released that much earlier until you said something. And I went into my like Verizon app and scrolled through. I was like, oh, they have episode descriptions already for weeks on it. Like I can yeah. look. Yeah. Um, so no, this alarmed me because I didn't realize it said March 16th. And I was like, this isn't the show I'm watching right now. Yeah. Yeah. So like Rachel said, these are the episodes airing on March 16th. So in a couple weeks. Um, so this will start with med. So med 716 is called mayor choices reflect hope, not fear. And it says, will helps a patient with long haul COVID symptoms. Vanessa reflects on her dating life when she learns that a patient's daughter is having an arranged marriage and a new family is born out of tragedy. I'm curious if Vanessa's dating life now, now knowing what we know, because I did not have this thought prior to last night, but I am curious. I wonder if Vanessa's dating life has to do with Dr. Shin too. I want to, I'm excited to talk about that because I, 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 I don't know if I understand. <laughs> yeah, we will definitely, we will definitely talk about it. Um, I'm curious also, I guess, what this new family that's born out of tragedy, my guess would maybe be have to do something with like Dylan and Carmen and Terrell. Maybe, I don't know. That's just a guess. Oh, oh, I didn't want to think about that, but, but yeah. I don't know. That's the only thing but I it could think be. of. I mean, it could be random people who show up to different unrelated things, right? They become a family, right? It could be because complete, not, yeah, it could be completely random, but typically with episode descriptions, it's not that random. So, like, I'm I don't know. I just yeah. I think that's interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, Rachel, do you want to read fires? Sure. Hot and fast is the title. Um, Cruz forms a bond with a young immigrant boy he meets while fighting an apartment fire. Squad makes plans to prank the newest member of their team. Hawkins and Violet struggle to keep their relationship a secret. Newest member of their team. Yes. I I don't know. There's a lot of theories floating around is like about, especially after last night, like is Gallo making the transfer to squad? Who's leaving though? I don't or do know. They have a spot. Like, can they put another one on them? I don't know. Cause then that means they'd have to, they already have to add someone to truck. So like, are they going to then have to add two people to truck? I, I don't know. I just don't want to lose anyone on that. Yeah. I don't think we are, but I, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Also, I'm glad we're getting a cruise storyline. It's been way too long since we've had a cruise, like a real cruise storyline this season. So I'm glad we're getting like a meaty cruise storyline. 
Um, He's actually been really quiet lately in general. Like, no mention mm-hmm. of baby either. Like, yeah. Like I said, I mean, really, the only things we've gotten from Cruz this year in general are like, okay, obviously the boat in the premiere, that whole PTSD yeah. stuff. And then the baby. We had baby yeah. Brian was born. And then baby, they were trying to get baby Brian already in a preschool. Like that's literally all we've heard. Oh, I forgot about the preschool. So I will say the one thing I'm struggling with being having just binged is my concept of time is kind of like screwed up because I watched so much of it so quickly. And then I had these breaks. So like Cruz having his baby feels like it was a year and a half ago when really it was not that long ago, but because I'm not used to not watch it. Like, right. I watched you it, watched all, it all at once. Yeah. 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 When really in reality, it was in October. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also obviously here for any and all Hakami content. Oh yeah. So we still we struggling March 16th. Okay. So two weeks later, they're still struggling to keep their relationship a secret. Yes. But I don't care because that means Hawkins still on the show. They're still together. <laughs> I don't even care. I will take it. Okay. And then last up, we've got PD916 is called Closer. When a young man is shot outside the Carabo, Carabo, I'm terrible at my Spanish, uh, bakery, the team works to connect the shooting to the bakery owner, Javier Escano, who has been under surveillance. Despite the increasing danger, Voight helps informant Anna Avalos to get closer, even closer to their target. So we got another Voight and Anna story, which like, eh. yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, that's all I really have to say about that. <laughs> um, okay. So, and I know there were, there's nothing really juicy in them. There were some episode pictures for next week that came out, but like PD never has anything juicy. Fire, of course, is like always focused on a call and med. I don't even remember what was in med, but like nothing worth reporting on, but they are, the promo photos for next week are out. Um, so you guys probably see them on Twitter or whatever. But that's it for the news next week. Um, if you guys have any, you know, see anything, you guys just send it to us. You guys are always really good about that if there is anything that we missed. Um, and yeah, but we do have two patron shout outs real quick. So um, the first up is Hannah. Hannah, welcome, welcome, welcome to the family. We are so glad you're here. Um, and then we also have Jenna Allen and Jenna, welcome to the family as well. I don't think either of you guys have joined the Facebook group yet, but if you haven't, just make sure you request. Um, yeah. And if anyone else is interested in joining our Patreon family, you can do so at the link in our bio, um, $2 tiers, $4 tiers, $6 tiers, lots of fun perks. Um, and yeah, that's about it. So I think without further ado, we can move into the episode if you are ready, Rachel. Let's do it. All right. So first up is med. And so this week's med episode is a very special episode because not only was it written by showrunners Andy and Diane, it was also written by our friend of the pod, Connor Patrick Hogan. Um, Connor is floating around Twitter sometimes, but he is the script coordinator over at med. And so this is his first ever like credited episode of television. So very big deal. Connor, we're very proud of you. Very excited for you. I, I'm not saying this just cause he wrote it and because I know he listens to this, but it, I actually really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a much better improvement on last week by far. I, I thought it was great. Um, some of the storylines just fit well 
together. Yeah. Like, I thought this was a good, I thought this got back to like meds, like solid quality yeah. this year. Like last week, I just did not care for it at all. Like I just last Do week I was, remember what happened well, last ends, week? Barely. It ends like, with, you know, uh, that part I remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it yeah. was just, a sh- I, Gina and I said, I, th- I thought it was a shit show all over the place. And so, like I said, this week, I'm not just saying that because I know Connor listens and he wrote this episode. I'm not. I thought this was actually a good episode. I really did. Uh, I just, I, everybody seemed to have like a motivation in mind, but also then the story kind of clicked with that mode. I mean, we'll get into it, but there are, there are some pieces where I was like, that line was perfect for that other story. Oh, and it was cool. It was yeah. really cool. Well, and there's a lot going on a lot. And yes. some stuff I did not see coming, which like we kind of alluded to earlier, we'll get to, but like, there was a lot going on for like everybody this week. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start with Stevie and Stevie's mom and things kick off and Stevie finds out from like a random nurse who we've never seen before that her mom has been admitted into the psych ward. And so she goes upstairs and she runs into Dr. Charles and she is pissed. And she's like, why didn't you tell me my mom is here? And he's like, well, she gave me, you know, express orders not to tell you. And she's like, no, I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to see my mom. And Dr. Charles is like, do I need to like call security on you? Which is like, of course, to us, like Stevie's official initiation to med, like, oh, someone's going to call security on the doctors at med. Like, you're really in the family now. Like, you're, you've made it into the med family if you like get the, you know, security called on you or like, that's how you know you've made it. Sometimes uh, you want to ask the security guards, like, tell us about, like, like that would be an interesting episode. Just, like, confession time. Oh, man. <laughs> what those walls have met at seen, what the walls have met, at Med have seen is just, oh, man. Yeah. Med's a special place. <laughs> yeah. I am, I am glad it's not a real hospital that I would have to send any of my family members to. Oh, no. I would never want to go to Med. <laughs> never. Never. Unless you told me specifically I was going to get treated by Crockett or Dylan, I wouldn't want it. Those would be the no. only two I would let, like... Or Connor Rhodes came back, and I needed heart surgery. True. True. Like, that one True. I would take. True. Um, so, Stevie's mom ends up, you know, Dr. Charles talks to her, and Stevie's mom does give Dr. Charles permission to like tell Stevie like what's going on so basically Stevie's mom admitted herself because you know she's been depressed and she was worried about self-harm and she ends up actually getting diagnosed with bipolar disorder which of course is then exasperated by the alcohol which is why she's been the way that she's been for so long and um you know Dr. Charles is talking to Stevie and he says at one point he's like I'm so sorry you had to go through this and Stevie like kind of starkly replies to him she's like yeah you were fine just keeping me in the dark which like I get that Stevie was hurt but like as a fellow doctor I feel like she should understand why Dr. Charles couldn't tell her yeah but at the same time if you think about the doctors at med the amount they poke around at stuff that they shouldn't be poking around in the fact that there was a secret is kind of shocking to me yeah, that's fair. I just, I feel like for her attitude for the comment, like, I understand, like I said, I understand her being hurt. And like, especially like you said, the doctors at med do kind of break HIPAA a lot. So like, it yeah. does, it, you know, I'm kind of surprised, I guess, Dr. Charles didn't tell her, but like, just her like attitude of like, oh, well, I can't believe you didn't tell me like, okay, so a doctor does defy, decide to follow HIPAA one time and you're going to like give him shit for it. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I, I mean, as her mom's story goes on, like it hurts, it hurts to hear some of these pieces about why she didn't tell her. And yeah, um, the one thing I wish we had gotten though, a little more of was the journey that led her mom to getting admitted because the last time we saw her, she really like seemed a little bit, I don't want to say ignorant, but just not paying attention to like, there was a problem. Mm -hmm. And so it, it surprises me that she easily just admitted herself. Like I'm proud of her. I'm glad she did. But I think that could have been an interesting story to have heard, even if it was secondhand. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Cause like you said, it's been, I don't remember exactly what number episode it was the last time we saw her, but it's been a good, I want to say like four or five episodes now. Like, I don't think we've seen her at all in 2022. I don't um, think so. No, I don't think so. I think it was like technically last year. Um, yeah. So like before mid season, but yeah, like, I feel like now that you mentioned that, I do feel like maybe there was some kind of part missing okay well it's like well where has her mom been this whole time like I mean that's the question Stevie wants to know too is like I've been trying to call her and she hasn't called me back and it's like you know I just kind of want to know where she is and if she's doing okay and like I have the same questions too it's like I felt like there was maybe a scene just missing in this episode like just even the scene of her coming in and being admitted would have given a little more context to like how she got here um but I still feel like even without that, though, like, even though that was missing, I still feel like they hit, like, it hit me in the emotions, like, hard. Like, you know, it still clearly accomplished what it needed to because it hurt. Um, So, so Dr. Charles just tells CB, you know, she's like, her mom is doing, you know, your mom's doing fine. Like, you know, she's doing well. So her mom is getting her to check out, though. And Dr. Charles asks her, he's like, well if you don't want to see Stevie, then like, why did you pick med? Like, if you don't want Stevie to know, like why med? And her mom just says, you know, I thought that I wanted to be near her, you know, at least even if I wasn't seeing her, like I would be near her. But then she's like, but the more I felt better, the more I thought that seeing her would hurt, would hurt. And she says, you know, like, I love my daughter, but she could be negative. Like if she doesn't say it, like Stevie thinks I'm always going to fail, which like, when I sat there and I thought about it and I like really thought about like what she was saying, I was like, damn like that hurt was a very it was it hurts but it was a very mature comment to make for her own recovery yeah Um, and I think it shows too that like obviously some therapy and clearly the being admitted to the hospital was the right move because I think even in her short time it's taught her to be reflective on everything and realizing like how far she's come and what her relationships really have been like but like damn like the part that I struggle with is this kind of situation I can see easily and hear that line easily if it's a child saying it about their parent but to hear a parent saying that about a child somehow feels wrong wrong yeah yeah I you know and I hadn't thought about that but yeah kind of I guess because you're supposed to think about it as like your parents are the one who even when you're like 25 and your parents are in their 50s or 60s like they're still supposed to be the ones somehow taking care of you right but and then, I mean they've been a, they've been in this reverse relationship for quite a long time yeah so I guess that makes sense that she it's felt the she other was, way around it's not yeah but it, it it definitely like that whole thing like you hear enough of like 
my parents aren't serving me in this recovery or whatever. I've never heard someone say like my child, like your child is supposed to be the thing you never separate from. Yeah. But I, like you said, I think it is very mature because she realizes she even says something along the lines of like seeing Stevie isn't something I need right now. Yep. And And I thought that was, yeah. Yeah. Like I thought that was very mature and like, I'm sure it hurts. Like I'm sure deep down inside her, that's not what she wants. Right. Like, like you said, even though they've had this reverse parent-child relationship for pretty much the whole, Stevie's whole life, like, I'm sure that's not what she wants, but, like, sometimes you have to recognize what's best for you, and, like, yeah, it may put a strain on some of your relationships, but, like, you have to take care of yourself first, because you can't take care of someone else until you take care of yourself. Yeah. I think the other thing I was thinking about was why she checked into med, and they never said this explicitly, but I thought of it as she kind of expected Stevie would find out she was there as Dr. Charles had said and this was her way of being able to give Stevie the news without having to say it outright Mm -hmm. like it it was a little it was almost a little bit out of fear of at least if she finds out I don't have to be the one to be brave to say like this is something I'm doing yeah um and so it, it was a little bit of an out but also a good way for her to be like at least I know she'll find out and I don't have to tell her about it after the fact Well, I think it's simultaneously an out and also a step forward, right? Like, yeah, I think it was an out in that, like, she didn't have to face Stevie herself yet. But I also think, like you said, it was a step forward into her having the conversation. I think even getting to the point at the final scene, right, where where Stevie comes to her mom's new place or, you know, at the rehab or wherever it is. And like her mom letting Stevie into that space. So I think oh, and that was like, great. Yes, she got to there to that point. But right, earlier like, on, yeah. Like I said, I think it's an out, but also the step forward that she needed. So like yes. kind of a weird dual ironic yes. thing, but like it worked. And I think it was good for her that she didn't have to let, like Stevie found out. Like imagine what would have happened. It, like the story was that much better because random nurse we've never seen before. I was actually going to ask you if I was supposed to recognize her. Mm-hmm. Um, random nurse tell stevie her mom's upstairs like yeah yeah so stevie kind of wrap up the storyline a little bit stevie goes to see dr charles again and they kind of just have this honest conversation about you know stevie realizing you know that the drugs and alcohol like were a result of her mom being bipolar not the other way around like her attitude her whole life wasn't because of the drugs and alcohol it was reverse And Stevie just says, you know, she's like, I was just waiting on my mom to fall apart again. And, you know, because that's what she's done her whole life. Like, the fact that she didn't do it this time is not what I'm used to. Like, you know, and that's been something hard for Stevie to wrap her head around. Because I think anytime someone, you know, it can be for the positive or the negative. But anytime you're used to, when you're used to someone doing something consistently and then they don't do that thing, it's always like, oh, wait, what? Like, I don't know how to react to this. And that's what Stevie was feeling in this moment. And, you know, Dr. Charles just tells her, he's like, you know, I think you should be giving yourself credit for recognizing the importance of seeing someone you love in a new way. Which, like, I don't know why that really hit for me this week, but it's just that line about, like, seeing someone you love in a new way and, like, how important that is. Um, especially when that person is trying to grow and, like, better themselves. I, Yeah. It was a good line, but it was also only a line you would ever hear from a psychiatrist, from Dr. Charles. Like, no one else is that mature to think about it. But it's true. Yeah. And it's, 
I mean, especially again, when it's your parent who is been struggling with something her entire life. Yeah. Well, and it's funny now that you say that some of the lines and some of the things like how they reflect other storylines in this week's episode, I almost kind of feel like this line applies to the Dylan and Terrell story. That's exactly. There are a couple pieces, that line, and then there was something else, but like that whole, the not knowing of her being, like she didn't know she was bipolar. And so she was treating it with alcohol, like similar thing to the Dylan and Terrell story. Well, and even just like Dylan had always seen Terrell, you know, he saw Dylan or he saw Terrell as someone who just like dropped out of high school. Like he had been a cool kid up until a point and then he dropped out of high school, fell in the wrong gang or whatever. But like now Dylan sees someone who he cares about. Like, I don't know, you know, love. I don't know if he loves Terrell or, you know, maybe at one point he did. But like now he sees him in a different light of someone who just really struggled in school and was almost embarrassed. And that's why he decided to drop out. And that's why everything else happened the way it happened. And it's just, you know, now that, like I said, now that you say that, I see how it relates to that too, but I did definitely did not pick up on that. Like while watching it, the interesting part that there was a line at the end. And I think the interesting part is that in, in this episode, Stevie is the one treating Terrell. And Stevie mm. walks out of the room at one point and she says his life could have been better if he'd known. Mm. And it par- like that part paralleled for me of like her mom's life could have been better had she known. Yeah. In the well, same exact way. Very and similar. Stevie's life could have been better if she had known, she right? Known. Yep. Because she wouldn't have had to feel like the parent the whole time and she wouldn't have felt like she had this strained relationship with her mom pretty much her whole life. Right. And they there there was similar to Terrell, there were there were therapies and treatment that mm-hmm. could have helped make that life better. So it was really, it was really interesting and very apt that Stevie just happened to be the doctor. Cause it was like one of those cases where she didn't actually have to like, yeah. wasn't her specialty, nothing like that, but like right the person, parallels. right time. Like yeah. the parallel was great. Yeah. And so we kind of touched on it earlier, but so the episode ends and we see Stevie going to her mom's new place at the, rehab or whatever you want to call it are those tiny houses is that what that it all it honestly kind of looked like a row of tiny houses and at first when she shows up I was like wait I guess they're just like rooms there I don't know but tiny houses whatever you it looked call really it. cool because I, I was like you go from a van to that okay yeah um, I'm assuming up. she did talk about like that they have activities and whatever so I'm assuming it was just a really cool architected rehab outpatient okay. type like step next step facility but yeah they were very cute like whatever kind of yeah units those were they definitely were unlike anything I've ever seen for like a rehab place let's put it that way um good for her yeah and so they have this you know it's kind of a little awkward at first so like nobody really knows what to say anything but like you know her mom says you know that she's gonna be fine like Stevie says something about like are you gonna be okay now that I'm going and you know I'm because she's still planning on leaving and her mom's like no like I'm gonna be fine like I and I think she will be I think and I think it'll be better for their relationship for like them to be separate but like ultimately able to reconnect um I think it will we, be better yeah. for them okay so I have to know did I I was under the assumption last week that Stevie was still a maybe about going. Is she now actually going? Like what? So it's very vague. She's I mean, she's supposedly going, you know, okay. For whatever. 
for her husband, ex-husband, whatever he, they want to call him now. We were really like in one of our group texts last night, we were like, okay, so, so one of the things that you'll learn, unfortunately, you'll learn with this fandom is that typically things get spoiled and they're usually spoiled by deadline. So like we were all waiting. We were like, okay, so is she really leaving? Like, is the deadline article going to drop saying that like Kristen's leaving the show? Like it really felt like that. Like last week I was like, okay, so she's leaving. Ha ha. That's funny. No big deal. And now I'm like, is she leaving? We better not like Stevie better not leave the show. I don't want Stevie to leave. Yeah. It's, it's very like, she had such a central storyline, but the fact that she was leaving felt very, like, unimportant this week. Yeah. That makes it feel kind of fake. I don't know. I, I mean, like, don't know how to. In my gut, I want to say she's not leaving, that this is, like, or if she leaves, it's for an episode, and then she realizes, like, things don't work out with her husband, and, like, she comes back. Like, I don't. I want to say she's not leaving for good, but this week, like, especially after that moment, it was the first time I had really questioned whether or not I thought she was leaving up until then. I was like, no, she's not leaving. No, whatever. It's a fake out, whatever. But this week was the, or that scene was the first time I was like, wait, is what am I actually supposed to believe here? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I'm like waiting to see what happens. I also, just, she's so beloved for having just been here for yes. just a little bit. Like, she would be great to keep around. I'm just really curious at this point, like, who they cast as her ex-husband, ex-husband, whatever. And, like, because oh. I'm sure he's going to pop up at some point. I can't imagine that he's not. Remind me, is he a doctor or does he just work for? No, he's a doctor. He was her mentor. That was what it was. Yes. That's how we Maybe end up finding should... that's how we end up finding out is because when Vanessa thought she had a crush on Crockett, Stevie mentions that like she was once in that. That was what it was. So yeah. maybe in a fantasy world. Yes, the doctor let's... whose name I never remember, who we all hate. Archer. Um, Archer. Maybe Archer leaves and her ex takes over as head of the ED while we're waiting for Dr. Choi to come back. And, like, we get to know him that way. We lose Archer, we keep Stevie, and maybe we get somebody new we actually kind of like. As much as I would love that, I don't think we're going to lose Archer, unfortunately. So, I mean, Thought I would hope. try. Thought one I would can try. Hope. I mean, Ethan's come. Ethan comes back in episode 18. I do know oh, great. That, is, that is a fact. So we only have a few more weeks without him. So we're getting there. But Well, maybe he can move to Chicago regardless and take a job. I mean, there's more than an ED in a hospital, even if. Yeah. And also, do we only really know one shift worth of people? Yes. So, like, another shift. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I like said, I'm sure he will pop up at some point. I can't imagine they introduce this whole thing and he doesn't pop up, even if it were to, like, help her leave. Like, I just can't imagine that. So, I just, I am curious to see who they'll cast. I haven't seen anything yet, but. I am curious to see who they'll cast. Inevitably, he'll butt heads with Will because of that's course, of course, what has to happen. Of course. <laughs> um. So we did get a few listener thoughts on this. Um. Megan R said, "I'm glad Stevie's mom admitted herself and got the help that she needed. Mental health is so important, and I love that Med is addressing it. A hundred percent. Um. I thought this was a really important storyline, and I'm really glad they did that. 
Um, and then Jess B said, Stevie's storyline with her mom ended up being an unexpected highlight for me this week. At the start, I was a bit in two minds about it because I felt bad for Stevie because it has to hurt that her mom was so close but didn't want her to know it. But on the other hand, what did she expect Dr. Charles to do? Violate HIPAA for her? But I thought the storyline was carried out really well. And I like that it was acknowledged that CB has the expectation her mom will let her down because that's what her experience was growing up. While also acknowledging that 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 mentality is in some ways contributing to her mom's mental health and substance abuse issues. I think they did a good job of acknowledging both sides without putting too much blame either way. And I think they landed in a really nice place where they can move on in a healthy way where they need they can be in each other's lives without Stevie feeling like she has to parent her mom. Exactly. A hundred percent. That's great. I also loved that her mom now, I, and I just thought of that, like that her mom has her own place now. Mm-hmm. She's not living in a van. She yeah. is not living with Stevie. She has something that is her own. Well, and not even the fact, like her van was her own, but it was a van, right? Like, and right. that was the only time she felt like she basically felt like she had to be homeless in order to have something of her own. Right. Exactly. And like, that's really sad when you put it that way, but it's true. Yeah. Like That's clearly how she felt. Um, but yeah, definitely for sure. I'm excited. I, see- I was going. Yeah, no, go I think you're about to say exactly what I was thinking. That I we hope get we to get to see, see this keep again. going. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do too. I hope this isn't the end for her mom, because um, I would love to see you know her mom doing well and you know see the progress that she's made and you know even if it's not this season, even if it ends up being like next season, like I just hope we get to see her mom again. I want to see her mom weigh in on her love life situation. Oh, that would be how much her mom really knows about this ex. Like, just just her inside. Like, I feel like she would have some pretty snarky things to say. Well, and I'm wondering, does her mom even know about Will? Not just in the context of med, but obviously, like Will and Stevie knew each other from medical school. So, did like Stevie ever mention like the heated academic competitions that her and Will were at? You know, like I don't know. Trouble believing Will was. In heated academic competitions, but you know, well, maybe not like that. But no, but he, it's how he talked about it. I just right, like they would like compete. You know, clown. they felt like to compete. You know, to be the top of the class. But yeah, yeah. I just I have trouble believing Will was. I love Will, but he doesn't seem like the top of the class kind of guy. No, no, <laughs> not at all. So speaking of Will, though, we should move into the Will and Maggie storyline, which, again, another storyline that I really loved. I really love this patient. Um, I really I've we've we've talked about it before, but I love the Will and Maggie friendship and I feel like we don't see it enough. So that was nice to see again this week. So this storyline was great. I love I really loved this one. This one also had like engaged my desire to understand what was going on and all the Googling and history yes. behind it was was super fun yes we will we will get there in a minute because I did the same thing a little bit earlier so we kick off though and Maggie and Vanessa are talking her bio Maggie's biopsy results aren't still aren't back yet and she is really afraid that like the cancer is back and I was really afraid that the med writers were going to stick it to us as like oh yeah Maggie's cancer is back and I was going to be like motherfucker like I can't I can't handle that if that was the case I can't do it yeah, and I, I, but I do, I appreciate the storyline having seen people go through this where like, and, and I like how it closes because it's something she will deal with forever, like yeah. that fear. Yeah. 
Um, so then we get this little morning banter with Mill and Ma- Will and Maggie as Will asks Maggie to end up going with him on this house call, and it's just super cute. Hear that Stevie's going back to Michigan to be with her husband? Yeah. So? Don't start with me. Where is Trini? The short staff at the ICU. She's covering. I need her. She's supposed to make a house call with me. Oh, I'll go. Trini knows the patient. You don't. What? Am I not the nurse with more experience than anyone else down here? Sorry, Nurse Lockwood. I'm sure you've seen it all. I'm grateful for your assistance. Huh. Charge, Nurse Lockwood. You're in a good mood. So are you. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it almost seemed, and even when I watched it a second time, it seemed a little mean to me. Like, I did not... Interesting. I didn't classify it as banter. Like, I wanted it to, and it was, like, cute by the end, but... The way she he was kind of like looking for the other nurse and she like the tone just seemed a little bit like and I get it. She was stressed. So maybe it was, but she she wasn't having it. Interesting. I definitely didn't take it that way at all. Um, it's, I thought I took it as like a more playful, especially when she's like, don't start with me or what. Like, I thought that was funny. Like, I don't know. I took it as like playful. Yeah, I didn't. Just- I- I, I didn't take it as funny, but like I'm glad we both saw two different things because I was a little uncomfortable at first. I'm like, what's going on here? Interesting. So we end up, and so Maggie does go on this house call with Will, and basically the house call patient is this older gentleman who is in an iron lung, and he has been in the iron lung for 63 years because of polio. He ended up getting polio like a few months before the vaccine came out so he just kind of shitty timing and that way that worked um and so okay so you and i both i think did a little research on iron lung because i was fascinated by it i know gina and i were texting last night and she was like but there's not been any technological advancements like why is he still using the iron lung so what i found out and what i was reading was that apparently they just kind of died out. Like, it's not that there was like, it wasn't, there were technological advancements that were made, of course, in something similar, but they just kind of ended up becoming different machines. They became like what we know as like modern ventilators. And then obviously like doctors started using things like tracheotomies and like doing intubations that way. And so like the iron lung just kind of phased out. But why, I guess, and I still, I didn't get this far because I was more like, like, it took me until they mentioned polio for me to know what this guy was in. I thought, I was like, is he in some kind of time machine? Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was like, oh, this is a real thing and started Googling it. But I still want to know, like, you would think that the people, like, it sounds like most of the people in them never leave them. Mm -hmm. And so is it just that the way it's architected and works is that like you really become dependent on it and there was no way to transfer them to more modern technology. That's interesting. I didn't think about it from that perspective, but I would guess so like, yeah, that is an interesting question of like, okay, well, why do they still need the iron lung? Like, why can't they just go to a ventilator? Right. I don't know. I, I don't know, but I do know. So I was reading and it says apparently like, like I said, they just kind of phased out. So like in 1959, there were apparently like 1200 people using them. But then by 2004, there were only 39. And by 2014, there were only 10 people left with an iron lung, which is like 
fascinating. And I think I I saw one that there were like three as of like two years ago. Yeah, but then I saw two that apparently with COVID, they kind of made like a little bit of a resurgence only because ventilators like became so scarce. Oh, interesting. And so that not that they became like super popular, obviously, because you but that was an there option. There were barely any anyway, like by 2020. So like, I think it wasn't like they were super popular. But I guess because ventilators became so scarce during COVID, right? Like, right. They, there were just so many, the demand was so high that like, you did see some iron lungs pop up just because of obviously needing them. I guess I wonder if and this is where like, I wish I had more medical knowledge in the iron lung. He actually could talk and speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of like ventilators and intubation and all that, you have to be your your best off being um, under sedation. Right. And so like, are there, is there more modern? I mean, there has to be something more modern for people who maybe aren't already dependent on it, but like, what are those things that allow you to be both fully alert and still get the lung support that you need. Well, and I wonder if that's maybe too one of the reasons why you don't see people transfer to them. That's like, what from I was, yeah. Iron lungs to ventilators and stuff is because while they may be more technolo- technology, like technology is clearly advanced and they're probably better for you or be- and better, you know, whatever. Like they do have to, like you said, they go through your trachea, you know trachea like you like you like said you have to be sedated and like so maybe they just don't want that I don't know I don't know but it is fascinating I never really heard of one I till again until episode descriptions from a couple weeks ago and then I kind of started but like it's it's also just the weird concept right like you just you so you just sit there like well and that's what I wanted to know how he does like he clearly did well like that was I loved the lead into it because you're like why is Will going on a house call He's not doing concierge medicine anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is like a fancy place. That's not really the clientele med serves. And then you see that like he's in an iron lung. And I I don't even know where I was going with that. Well, the thing that fascinated me was that they gave him this like backstory of like the guy's a financial planner. Like that's the part. Works. That's what I was going. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at was like I was very curious like what technology he, he clearly had something on his screen when he was right. helping Maggie but like does he is it voice controlled like how does it work somebody teach me that technology because that's very impressive that he does so well for himself well and you have to think though that it always hasn't been right that right like now we're no. in 2022 but like in the 80s which he was clearly still in an iron lung in the 80s like how did he work I mean, I'm assuming he learned through audio, like there are audio options there, like, right. Couldn't put it like couldn't put an iPad up there, but like clearly is a very smart man who either had someone read to him or he was listening to books on tape um, and learned a lot and was able to advise people. And I love that. I love that he like got to live, feels like he had, he seems like he felt like he had a fulfilled life despite yeah, which- I would have never thought about because I would have just assumed like once you're in the iron lung, like that sounds morbid, but like you're kind of screwed, right? Like that you yeah. can, obviously because like you can't go anywhere. It's not like being in a wheelchair where you can still get out, meet people, go do things, whatever. Like you can't go anywhere ever. And do you think from that picture, like where he talked about his like lab mates or I don't remember uh-huh. what he called it. Like, do you think there were relationships built when they were all like in them together like that? 
that could be a really interesting movie or a book to hear know. about like people people who had to survive in that kind of situation together if it's now real. I just like want to go do all the iron like obviously this was like very brief research that I did on it but now I'm just oh, yeah. like, fascinated and I want to go learn like everything I am the same I'm like I'll text you tomorrow everything I've read <laughs> yeah you have the day off tomorrow you can just like do all the research and I'll I do all just... the research and report back uh, actually I'm just now that you say the thing about the movies or what like I would love I think it'd be fascinating movie or if there's like a book out there that's like a fiction book well like, yeah based in that kind of it would be very like a very dialogue heavy relationship type like exactly my jam there's no action to have to watch just listen yeah um so and then while they're getting you know the first initial tests on um like they're starting to do the EKG EKG or whatever Maggie makes a comment about um Will's love life and like which is so funny and then she does apologize because she's like I think I took it a little too far but um you know Will's just like what's going on with you and she's just like I'll tell you later like she's just she's like I will tell you but I now is not the right time um so Will goes out to, he takes some blood work from this guy, Ellis. Ellis is the patient in the iron lung. And so he goes and like takes it to the labs to get tested or whatever. And like Maggie and Ellis just have like the sweetest conversation, um, which again, I loved. And we're going to play the audio real quick. What are you not telling him? What? Halstead, what are you not telling him? Come on, come on. I'm, I'm in an iron lung. I'm allowed to be nosy. I had a biopsy. Cancer, maybe? And why didn't you tell him? I want people worrying about me. Yeah, I, I get that. I'm not much for pity parties myself. No. So, what are you going to do if it's positive? I don't know. Because how serious it is. Chemo, radiation, surgery. I have to stop working. So how are you set for retirement? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. But you should. So you want me to take a look at your financials with you? I can't ask you to do that. Why not? Because you're my patient. Get your phone. Pull up your accounts and email them to me, and, and we'll go over them together. Now? Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe in putting things off. <laughs> so, and this at this moment, after Maggie and Ellis have this conversation, that was where I was like, okay, nothing better happen to Ellis. I swear to God, if he dies at the end of the storyline, I'm going to be pissed. He was a great character, and he was just what Maggie needed. Yes. It, it was... <laughs> perfect what i loved how by the end he was like so i'll distract you do you want to go over like how to like save her retirement like i'll just like let me just go over your finances and she's like wait what like i thought that was hysterical i thought that was really fun it really fit well i i think a lot about like how maggie reacted to her cancer originally and how she's reacting now like she's very much the type of person who doesn't want people to dote on her and doesn't mm-hmm. want to bother other people's lives and I think the way Ellis just inserted himself in the like, 
no, I want to, like, this is what I do for fun. And like, or not for fun for work, but like, this is how, like, and you need this and you can ask for help. And like, it was a good push on her. And I think it worked because he had, like, she had no idea who he was obviously prior to walking in his apartment. And I think sometimes when, if you are a person that feels like that, you don't want to obviously feel like you're an obligation to your family and friends or feel like you're burdening them with your problems. Um, and we all know someone like that. If you're not that person, you all know someone who doesn't ever want to burden you with their problems. And I think Maggie definitely is that person, but it worked for Ellis because Ellis was a stranger. Like she was probably never going to see Ellis again after this. Like it just, it worked because he had no preconceived notions of who she was like nothing, no idea of like what was going on in her life before this. Like, and so I think sometimes those people, as weird as it is to think at this, like they are the best sounding boards. It totally is. But it like provides an interesting contrast that he's her patient too. Mm-hmm. Because as a, as a longtime nurse, like she's been trained to like, you don't, you don't have your patients help you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a fun lesson for her to see, like it served both her and her patient in that case to distract themselves in that way. Yeah. And so we do end up finding out that Maggie's biopsy is negative. It is not cancer. Thank God. Huge sigh of relief. We're just like, thank God. Um, but of course, like she, this whole thing is just made her realize that like, she will always have to live with the possibility of her cancer coming back. And so Ellis has this really nice moment and he, you know, says, he's like, you know, we all live on a razor's edge. Some of us know it more than others in a way we're the lucky ones. We have the good sense to cherish every moment. And again, this is just another line that just, I don't know what it was about the med lines this week, but they just hit me in the feels. Like I was just like, damn, I don't know why I needed to hear that this week, but I needed to hear that this week. Apparently. It's a good Um, one. Yeah. And I just, I just loved that. He was such a positive man, despite everything he had gone through. Yeah. Um, I want him back. Yes. I was. I would love to see him back. I would love to just, I just want to, again, learn more about an iron lung. Like I just, I have all the questions, all the thoughts. All the- Can we get a spinoff just about Ellis and his life? Oh my God. Yes. Just give me the web series. Actually, I don't even need like a full 22 episode spinoff. Just give me like a web no, series. That would be perfect. Um. Also, it's just a nice moment to see like Maggie's results come back negative and realize like we actually got something nice that wasn't ripped away from us. Like, I was going to be like, if Maggie got cancer again, I swear to God, why? Like, why are we doing this to this poor woman? So, like, the fact that it wasn't benign and she's not going to have to go through that again, I was just like, oh, thank God. I remember when I first found out when she first had cancer, I was just like, of all people, like, Mm -hmm. like, she is just the nicest, most nurturing woman in this place. And I don't want to watch that. And in some weird way, it kind of worked out in her favor because obviously that's how she met Ben. So like it yes. kind of worked out. But like, yes, she should not I have just had remember to go through that to meet Ben. And I just remember thinking like, oh, now I have to watch a bunch of episodes with her struggling with cancer. And like, and that was not. Funny. I don't want to deal with that. Um, no. no way. It was like to do that again. No, thank you. Yeah. So. We do see like a brief moment again. And I thought Ellis was really going to die here. Like he passes out and it's, 
Will comes back just in the right time and he's like, it's the thyroid. The thyroid's the issue. And of course, he like just so happens to like push up thyroid med and like he ends up being fine. Like Ellis is going to be okay. But for a hot second, I was like, I swear to God, this they're going to do it. He's, they're going to kill Elf Ellis and I was going to be very mad. But luckily, he's okay. Um, and then Maggie and Ellis have this nice moment, like, you know, when they say goodbye and she like kisses him on the forehead. And then as she and Will are leaving, you know, she tells Will like what's going on, you know, that why she's been acting the way she'd been acting. And Will comes clean too. And he says, he just lays it all out there. He's like, I wish Stevie was saying, but like Ellis says, life can throw you a curveball." And I was like, okay, so this is where we're at. Will has definitely got more than a crush on Stevie. He is injure wait so did maggie say that or did will say that will says that he will says that okay yeah because he says i wish he was staying yeah oh which like we had kind of seen which makes sense given the way he horribly reacted to her saying that she was going back to michigan last week and he was like why he was like just rude about it and i was like why are you being this asshole to her um well, they were about to go out right as yeah because she was she left to, she they wanted to go bowling and then she was like no i need to go michigan i'm gonna get the divorce like i'm gonna do it and then she comes back and she's wearing the ring and he gives her a hard time about the fact that like she went there and like accuses her of doing it just for a job and you know all that stuff and I mean, clearly, I think last week it was also like, okay, I think you're probably just reacting this way because you have a crush on her and the fact yeah. that like she's not available anymore kind of is rubbing you the wrong way. But like, I'm glad he just admitted it because yes, he needed yes. to admit it to someone, get it off his chest. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that storyline. Um, we again got some more listener thoughts um elizabeth w said the only thing i can say is more will and maggie please i feel like will has friends in the ed now since like everyone left but maggie is his og writer die so more please and i've decided the tv isn't leaving i just made that decision for everyone she's not leaving which i like that yes elizabeth let's let's make that yeah we're just manifesting that manifest it that she's not leaving that's that's what we're going with um, and then Jess B said, Will and Maggie are the standout of the episode for me. Locke said, will forever be my underrated bro TP in the one Chicago universe. And honestly, the big sister, little brother vibes they bring to every storyline they're in together. I love the Iron Lung storyline was kind of wacky, but in a good way. And I think the actor who played the patient probably carried a lot of it. It would be an easy storyline to get wrong, but he was so quirky and likable that I couldn't help but enjoy it. I'm so glad Maggie is all right. And I like that Will opened up to her about Stevie a little bit. I think we all knew he was developing feelings for her, but TBH, I'm here for it. Give me the Hammerstead slow burn. Yes. <laughs> the ship names. Yeah, and I agree too. I think this Iron Lung storyline could have been definitely a lot weirder. And like, I think the actor playing Ellis, I think his name is Max Gale. Like, I think a lot of the storyline, the reason the storyline is so great is because of him. Like he that's definitely totally, I didn't think about that, but that's totally true. Like, I think this storyline could have been like, eh, okay, whatever. Like if, it, but he made the storyline. I think the other thing is Maggie is often the nurturing mentor figure to other people. Mm-hmm. So to watch her receiving that from someone else 
is a nice like breath of fresh air and like a nice change that kind of like gives her a little bit more wisdom to bring back to the rest of the group. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so let's move into the Vanessa Goodwin, Dr. <laughs> Shentu stuff because we kind of alluded to it earlier, but the way this kind of wraps up, I definitely did not have on my bingo card, <laughs> like my one Chicago bingo card, like, at all I didn't so last left field honestly that entire storyline just kind of felt there like like I just didn't I didn't totally follow it all the time okay so let's get into it then so Goodwin goes outside she and like grabs she left her phone in her car so she goes outside to grab it and she runs into Dr. Shentu and then all of a sudden there is a car that comes crashing through the crowd and ends up running into like one of those little like barrier things that like lines the front door of bed and she is with it a little bit but like obviously not with it in that like something's clearly wrong with her so they come in and Goodwin, Shintu, and Vanessa start working on her. I do always love it has been nice it's rare but I have really enjoyed seeing Goodwin like do some actual nurse things this year. Like that's been a really nice change of pace. Um, and then I kind of on, even though we call him Dr. Shintu, I really kind of forgot that like Dr. Shintu was an actual doctor and not just a suit. I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, like he actually is a doctor. Like we knew that. Like I remember them saying like when he was first introduced, like going through his credentials but like because he's always wearing a suit and like I think of him as a suit I was like oh right he's an actual doctor like he can step in yep um yep it, so, it didn't even occur to me that his name was Dr. Shentu even though we right, like even though that's what we call him is Dr. Shentu like again like I knew he was a doctor a legit doctor but I just I it just went over me um but Goodwin's like okay yeah like you can Vanessa you're gonna take point and Dr. Shintu like you can stay on and like finish this up right and he's like yeah I guess yeah um which like Goodwin knew what she was doing right like she yes it was very bizarre at first because at first I was like does he have a specialty we didn't know about like what's going on he's a critical care doctor that is critical care right well which but like why this patient over any like it just didn't not something was something was weird just the same way like she just happened to be missing her phone yeah like like, she knew she knew what she was doing yes so but like of course archer archer is just archer and he's like judgmental about the whole thing and he just basically says i guess dr shintu goes to put on some scrub he's like keep me briefed on shintu's performance like he isn't having any of this shit he does not think this is gonna go well at all so (sighs) we get you know, should you come back and basically what they think it is, is that obviously she had, had been into med before because of COVID. And so they think that she's got some like long haul COVID symptoms and it's basically like COVID induced fibromyalgia. And so Shintu mentions this medicine that he thinks, you know, he's seen some studies on and thinks will be like, you know, a good help for this, but it would be off label, meaning that 
it's not FDA approved for use for fibromyalgia. It is for other things, but not that. And so, but of course, according to the new policies that Shentu has put into place, that means they're not allowed to use a medicine for off-label purposes unless the patient has given consent to do so. And so Honestly, Shintu- that makes sense to me. It As they does. were reading it, I was like, that actually makes some sense. It does make sense, but I guess the point is that like just having to go through the process of giving consent. Yeah. And if she is like in this case, she's not she's unconscious then yeah. like you can't you have to just wait and it puts off getting the patient better you know because you have to wait for their consent or obviously even if you have to wait an hour and then something goes wrong which as we kind of yeah. get there like you know I think that's more the point not that it doesn't make sense to run it by the patient but like sometimes you just can't run things by the patients um and so the girl her name is Gia and so basically all of a sudden her stats stop to draw start to drop and the only way you can fix it is with a pericardiosynthesis which is basically like a non-emergent invasive procedure which again because it's non-emergent would according to dr shintu's new policies require her consent which like again he i i think dr shintu is clearly he knows what he's doing he just then suddenly has realized that like his policies suck and like he can't be doctoring to his full potential because of the policies. And I think like Goodwin is just being a mastermind here and recognizing like the best way to get the suit to recognize his decisions are wrong or to put him in the position of the doctors. Well, it's funny because, and I think that a lot of times and not necessarily just within the medical world, but I think, And a lot of times you don't realize, like if you're on one side of something, you don't realize the other perspective until you're in that other perspective, which is a conversation my dad and I have been having a lot this week because we've been going to our, like our local hospital for some like procedures or whatever this couple, last couple days. And he obviously was a surgeon for over 30 something years in that same hospital. And now he's a patient on the other side and he's like, he hates it. Like, he's like, this hospital is so inefficient. He's like, I don't know how things get done. Like, but like, he's like, it's now being on the other side. It's like a real patient for the first time. He's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, it's yeah. just like, you see you, what you, once you finally get a new perspective, you're like, oh, and I think that's clearly what Shintu needed is that like, maybe the ideas for the policies are not totally out of whack, but they just need some tweaking on like how they can actually be applied to totally the doctoring but then we get archer and he like has to just he also has to have like every last word so he pops by to see shintu and he's just like i heard about your inability to treat your patient but like hey you stand by your rules and at first it's like oh and you're like that was such a jerk move because he's archer and he can't say anything nice to anybody anybody want to know what purpose he serves (laughs) other than to make us mad listen so okay so We'll get there in two seconds. So I do want to bring that up. So Vanessa ends up doing another scan. Now the patient's condition is now emergent. So they can do the procedure they've needed to do this whole time. And like, again, Archer makes another comment. He's like, he's like, what do you think? Maybe this could have been avoided. And it's just like, shut the fuck up. And so like, (laughs) it gets to the point of like, what purpose does Archer really serve in this whole thing? Like, where are we going with this? I have no idea at all. 
I was reminded this week that I, I do think it's interesting that Steven Weber is still technically credited as a credited as a special guest star and not oh, interesting and not a regular because when it was announced in the summer that like he was joining, you know, on a full-time basis, they said he was going to be a series regular. And I remember in the beginning of the season, noticing that he wasn't like, he was still listed as that, but like we're on episode 14 and he's still listed as a special guest star. So like, is that for a reason? Is that like just for some money reason, you know, like money crediting reason. And we have no idea, you know, it doesn't really matter. Or like, is there a purpose to that? I don't know. Something big coming. I just, I just want to like, I thought maybe they were going to try to make us like him. Like, it seems like kind of at the mid season, like he had that one moment. I was like, okay, I don't actually like hate him in this moment, but like, then he goes and has an episode like this. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, why do we have to be subjected to you? I want him to be a redeemable character. Cause I always think those characters are more interesting and it's just like the minute you feel like you get that twinkle of it, it disappears. And I'm like, yeah, give me something. Well, and at this point, I thought that last season when he was introduced, right? Like that, like, I was like, oh, they're going to give us something redeemable. It may be next season, but like, it's going to come. But at this point, it's been like a whole, I don't, I don't know, like 20 episodes, maybe that like, he's been around on med, like. How much longer are we going to have to wait if that's really where they're going? Or is he just supposed to be the antagonist because we always need an antagonist? It's not even a fun antagonist, though. No, he's not even a, like, a, oh, I kind of like this guy, even though I know he's pushing everyone's buttons. Like, I can still get behind him. Like, no. Like, even in this episode, he just pops in to say unnecessary things and make you angry. Right. Like, and especially, like, Shinto. Uh, I get, I get, we're supposed to not like Shintu, right? Like, you know, he's a suit. He's the one that's kind of like making these rules that everyone's not a fan of or whatever. But like, I'd much rather have him than Archer. Oh, yeah. Because I think Shintu actually has, you know, we've kind of started to see it a little bit this week. Like, yeah, he's doing his job. But I think he realizes sometimes that like his job isn't maybe the best ideas, you know, like as we kind of get around because he does eventually decide that like, yeah, he kind of needs to go back to the drawing board and like adjust some of the guidelines, which clearly was Goodwin's plan this whole time. Yeah. Um, But like, I think Shintu has something there that I'm like, okay, like I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of, I guess, interested in this, but like Archer, I'm like, no way. I'm actually interested to see a redeemable suit because we've had, We've had the ones who are just plain awful, even when you think they're redeeming. Them. Yeah. Like, I am excited. Like, hospital administrators are inherently good people doing a really hard job. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm excited for this potential of bringing someone that we can really like, not just Goodwin being, like, the only administrator supporting people. Like, Let's have another good guy on the side. So this is kind of where we get into this last scene, which like, again, I did not see coming. I don't know where this came from. And it's like, are we going to get to see a different side of Shintu? So basically the episode or this storyline wraps up because Vanessa asks him to a con, like she has a friend bail on her for a concert. And like, she decides that she wants to take Shintu and it's like, a little flirty because she's like if you know your guidelines will allow it or whatever and he's like yeah like sure let's go so dr shintu and vanessa are going out to a concert 
a Duran okay, so Jones concert, by the way, which I'd never heard of before this. Me neither. Okay, so I have a question here. Yes. Because I think we are supposed to assume it's flirty. But do mm-hmm. is there any possibility that maybe Vanessa just feels bad for how he was treated and wants him to feel welcome no, as opposed to being sure. a bad guy? For sure. I definitely think that. And I, if they choose to go that route, I think that's totally fine and valid. Maybe I'm just reading flirty vibes because I was so thrown off on the fact that like, no, I think we're supposed like to she think was asking. Yeah. Like it, it did like feel like she was like asking was, him out. Right. No, I totally felt the same way. I just then afterwards questioned the like, was she maybe not asking him out? And we just made the wrong assumption. Like, was she just like feeling like she wants him to feel welcome on the team? This is yes. also the second time an inter or a resident has asked somebody much more senior to them to a concert in a very awkward way. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Maybe like this is just what the residents do is they go to concerts and think other people want to go with them. I don't know. I don't know, but I just, I literally had no idea that that's where that was going at all. And it happened and I was like, wait, what? I I could have expected more of a like, hey, we should get coffee and like talk more. Like, like but going to a concert with somebody you barely know is not my idea of like a great first date. No, but also okay. If we are going here and if it does decide like I don't know if I hate it. And that's the weird thing. I hate thing. it. It could be No, it could be to- I'm with you. It could be like it could be our favorite one Chicago ship. I highly doubt that. But <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll get there. But like it just is out of out of nowhere. I'm hoping I am hoping there is a reason behind this down the road and so that we can laugh about like how ridiculous we found it at first later. Yeah, like I said, I just it was so out of left field that when it happened, I was like, I I I, I don't even know what to think anymore. Like I it, I was just so not prepared for that at all. What do we think the age difference between them is? Okay, well, she's a resident. She's probably like 25. Right probably so like my age like 26 like in that kind of range if he's a doctor he's a full-on like critical care doctor and he, this is like more of a second career like i think he clearly was 30s. a practicing critical care doctor and I then decided to go pro- i think he's probably like 10 years older than her okay i'm thinking 40s he doesn't look Interesting. it but like he doesn't look it but like logically wouldn't he practice medicine for a while before making the career shift? Maybe, Maybe. not. We don't know anything, don't know. you know. I don't know. We know nothing about him. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't say he's like 30. And I definitely wouldn't say I I mean, I don't think he I don't think I'd he's go 40s. with late 30s. I'd say I, like I would go with late 30s. late 30s. I'd say like 35 at the youngest. But he 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 ages well. He does not look that old. No. Not he at looks all. very young. Like the suit ages him a little bit, but like he, he seems like he's younger than Will. Maybe around Could the be. same age. Maybe around the same age. Okay. Um, but yeah. And like you said, I had never heard of Duran Jones before. I listened to them after Connor sent me a message or sent Gina and I a message earlier. And he was like, the one Chicago fans need to know that Vanessa has impeccable music taste. And so I listened and I was, it wasn't bad. It was just, again, I literally never heard of them. And I was like, 
okay that's even more random i i don't know the whole scene i just but like i said i didn't hate it so i don't know what does that say about me i don't know um but yeah so we did get a listener thought on this um jess b said the goodwin shinto vanessa storyline was interesting to say the least he she said i'll be up front and say it i don't hate dr shinto i probably should and he's given me no reason to like him but i don't find him that bad i do love dr goodwin's little manipulation to get him on the case this week and i'll be interested to see if the realizations he's had had over this episode about all his rules and stuff will carry into future weeks or not like we will like will we see him turn into something of an ally for Dr. Goodwin or will he revert back to being something strictly by the book but that ending talk about not having that on my bingo cards I'm just sort of like all right all right at the moment like I don't love it don't hate it interesting to see where the fuck they're going with this uh yes (laughs) I'm perfect I am too like I guess he's sticking around for a while um I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. So talking about things, though, I definitely, while I am interested in the Shuntu stuff, talk about things I am not interested about is the Crockett, Dr. Blake situation. Like, at all. I have no interest in this whatsoever. Honestly, I liked it until last week. Like, interesting. I I, not liked it at all. I liked both actresses playing mother and daughter I thought they were both compelling at first I was really grossed out by like the mother and Crockett storyline but then I really liked it but I didn't care this week I'm done with it I'm curious did you watch Suits yes all right I watched some of Suits so I liked okay so you like you know Sarah I mean I've I know who Sarah, Sarah Rafferty like, is yeah. like I know but I've never seen really seen suits so and then I saw I don't remember what the the young the daughter Joanna Brady uh, she was yeah. in um, I saw her in Quantico I liked yes. her in Quantico I was gonna say it's Quantico um and she was in something else I've watched recently and I don't remember what it is but like I liked them both I have trouble believing their mother and daughter though like yeah, Sarah Rafferty like I, be- I, I believe it's probably possible by the age but like Sarah Rafferty looks way too young yeah because you would technically just say like oh she had him when she was 16 and like right I mean she could have had her when she was 20 and like still but like Sarah Rafferty looks so good that you're just like no way yeah I am just kind of curious about now that you say that like what is the age difference okay Sarah Rafferty is 49 how old is Joanna Brady is 34 Okay, so, so that's definitely unlikely. Teen at the, you know. Mm. But, like, I think if you pretended that Joanna yeah. Brady's character was 25 and Sarah Rafferty's character was, like, a good in her 50s, like, she was or 25. Even, like, yeah, I mean, Joanna could even be, I don't think she's 25 because that would be, she'd mean she's younger than me. I don't. Oh, and she's a lawyer. So she, but, like, yeah, she'd be, like, 28. Would, or 30. I mean, you could be 30, 30. And if Sarah was, like, 52, you know, I mean. 22. Yeah. 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 But um, anyway, although she had her at 16 and she was like this kind of badass surgeon, like good for her. That's another spinoff story I want to hear. Yeah. So this week, there's not a ton here that happens, but so basically Crockett and Pamela, they're handling this liver transplant involving like one of Dylan's patients. And so they go and consult, yada, 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 whatever. And then after they consult with the patient's family, Crockett finally decides to like confront Pamela about the weird moment from last week. Hey, Pamela, Pamela, 
Hey, look, I, I spoke with Avery. I made it clear you had no idea we'd gone out. You mean so she wouldn't think that her mom was snaking her boyfriend? What a mess. I know. Come on. I want to make things right. I want to make things right between you and me. Look, I also told Avery I, I had feelings for her. Okay, stop, 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 stop. I never should have let myself get involved. You're a surgeon. You're on my team. That's all. Okay, Crockett needs to learn time and place because, like, this was, like, the weirdest moment for him to, like, bring up this whole conversation. It's literally, like, as soon as he leaves the room, they leave the room, he's like, oh, by the way, last week and, you know, or, like, yesterday or whatever it was, he's like, I talked to Avery and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? Did he say, okay, so I, I heard this line twice and I never got, like, the text. Did he say, I told her I had feelings for you or I told you I had feelings for, like, what did he say? I think he says, I told her I had whatever. I don't remember the exact line. Meaning, like, because he says, I talked to Avery. Right. So, like, now he has come clean. Because clearly, and as we get there, like, he is now all in on Pamela. Like, Avery is definitely not. Do you think he's, that's what, okay, that's what I was trying to figure out. He's all in on Pamela, not Avery. Yes, and I think it was kind of clear that it was going that way because there was a moment, again, I don't remember exactly what episode it was, but, like, at the end of an episode, Avery sees him, like, in the lobby or whatever and, like, asks him to dinner and he says no. And she's kind of a little offended, but I think at that point you kind of clearly realize that, like, he is not into Avery anymore, so he's not going to pursue that and like but is into pamela and like i think by this point he is very much only into pamela that's what i thought but i like heard that line wrong and so i was always like did he just say he loves avery like that doesn't fit now i got it yeah but like so in this confrontation you know dr blake is like no listen like you're a surgeon you're on my team like that's all like we are not no 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 way um but Crockett is still I think kind of convinced that he's going to be able to convince her and so again there's not a ton that happened like they do the transplant it's cool whatever like they kind of place them a little weirdly like throughout everything else and like it's a little hard to keep up with but like basically like Pamela struggles a little bit in the transplant trying to pull the catheter out or whatever and like Crockett's able to do so successfully again not really important semantics at this point not really important um but after the surgery again Crockett talks to her about you know what's going on between them and Pamela just says you know like it's better this way and he's like is it though like and he says you know that's not the way I see it I mean like what did Crockett really expect her to say that like she's in love with him? She has feelings for him. You know, they can be together, you know, like what does he expect her to say? Uh, I'm going to out myself here because we'll get to it later. But as Brian knows, I have a lot of trouble with these supervisor supervisee relationships. Like I know it's fiction. I try to let myself go. It's fiction. It's not real, but like, in this case, it's just stupid. Like, let's let's just be done. Well, at this point, I don't even think, like, I think Pamela is trying to convince herself that, like, it's better off that they're just friends and just colleagues because it is. But, like, I think if they ever, you know, because I think at this point they will be a couple at some point as much as I don't want to see that because I don't really buy their chemistry or anything in a romantic way. I think... 
that she is using the supervisor supervisee part as like her justification on like why they oh, totally. can't be together. But like, I think if they get together, that's not going to be a problem. Like that is like the least of their issue, you know? Like Oh, totally. She should have just said like, I'm not into my daughter. Like this is gross. Well, she like, does kind of use that too at one point. And like, but again, like she really should have just said like, no, I'm not into you. If that, you know, because all her but other- I really think she can say it's gross. You were with my daughter. Like, this is clear. Like, I was already unsure about this. Like, this is just like the last straw. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just. Also, he knew this whole time. Like, he- his whole role in it is not innocent here. No. And like, at one point, they even say, like, it's messy. Like, that is the understatement of the century. Like, my God. Yeah. It's messy. Okay. Yeah, it, it's definitely messy. Um, I don't know. The whole thing, I just think, I, I like I said, I clearly think they're setting it up for, like, at some point for them to, like, be together, what that looks like. I don't know. But, like, I'm not, I'm not into this. I, you know I where the story would have been better, more interesting? How? Imagine Ben didn't exist. Imagine the storyline with Maggie and Vanessa. Now that could be fun to watch. Oh, Lord. Especially before people knew, except for the two of them. Well, you kind of almost went there a little bit, right? In the early part of the season when, like, Vanessa had a crush on Crockett. Like, we could have, we could have gone. I wouldn't have hated that. For me, really, the reason I am not buying, well, first of all, I'm not really a big fan of Dr. Blake's character. I haven't really found any reason to like be rooting for her yet but really the reason I'm not buying this is a I just don't really see the chemistry and b I don't see in a romance like what does Crockett see in her romantically no I agree and, like he- vice versa like what does she see in him I mean I know why I would love Crockett as like a romantic interest because I shipped the hell out of him and Natalie last year so I get like why I you know but like I just don't see why they're into each other. Doctor, like they have not, other than when he took her home Mm -hmm. that time after, like their drama has been more about the professional. And so it's not been the same like banter you got with Natalie or like, like you don't get the same, like, I like that with Natalie, we heard more about him as a person than not just him as a surgeon. And like, and I think the other seen that here. And the other dilemma they've set up with him this season, or them, you know, Pamela and Crockett, as romantic sense, is that Avery was always in the outskirts. And now that's the drama. And Avery clearly is gone now. So, like, okay. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I think that at some point they're clearly setting up for like a big romantic moment, you know, like more than the kisses they've already had. Like they're setting up for some kind of moment, but like, I just, I don't care. Like, is she classified as a series regular or just no, a guest star? She's okay. just a guest star recurring, okay. whatever, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, she's not a series regular. Um, I didn't think so. And but... I can't, I mean, maybe Sarah Raffity will join the show full time, but I kind of, I'm surprised. I thought she was just going to be around for like a couple of episodes. She stuck around longer yeah. than I thought she was going to be around. So. She stuck around a while and I actually feel like would have been a bigger bang with her just for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and again, I just think I'm really sad. I hope we get to see Avery again. I doubt it. But like, I just thought Avery and Crockett had like a hundred times more chemistry. 
They were fun. What was remind me again? What was the case she was working on when she was there? It was so she originally was a patient. That's yes. how we meet her, and then we find out that she is a lawyer on the, the other med- side was, of the VASCOM. The the, the, the medical supplies. That was what it was. Yeah. yeah. But originally, we meet her because she's a patient, yeah. and that's how we meet Doctor Blake too. Yeah. And Crockett was the doctor. Um, oh yes, I'm remembering this now. Yes. yes. This is again the binge. The, the yeah. So having binged. Yeah. Um. So we did have some listener thoughts. Uh, Jess said the other miss for me in this episode was Dr. Blake and Crockett. Besides just not giving a fuck about their personal drama, the storyline in general felt like a bit of an afterthought. I think we got like two scene of the actual patients, and one of those was surgery itself. And because I didn't really care of the outcome, which feels really callous to say, but there just wasn't enough screen time to make me care. Yes, I 100% agree with that. Totally. Um, and then she said, yeah, their personal drama. Look, I'm a big believer in the writers having to balance between listening to what the fans want and writing the storylines they want to write because sometimes the storyline ship, sh- whatever, might not be popular at first, but the payoff is good. But I just don't see the payoff here. Like, no one seems to like them as a couple. Do we really think they're going to end up together long term? I don't. So what's the end goal here? Yeah, okay. You guys we were- have sold. You all have sold me now. Like, I came in being like, I didn't hate her, but. Yeah, I mean, and again, like. It's nothing in Sarah Rafferty. I just, I, I haven't found a reason to care about Pamela. First as a character and certainly not them as a couple. Like, if they can find a reason to make me care, awesome. But, like, I haven't found a reason to care yet. And it's been seven episodes or however long it's been. And I'm just, like, waiting. Like, okay, it's like that gift. It's, like, waiting. Like, what, what, when is it coming? Like, you know. Maybe we should try pairing her up with a different doctor. Like, that could be interesting. Ooh. Well, there was the chance she and Archer were going to end up. I was going to say, I almost feel like her and Archer might make both of them more interesting. Isn't that wild? Yeah, kind of. Um, Oh, man. So, and then Geek Gets Away on Twitter said, why does everyone hate Dr. Blake with Crockett? I, like I said, for me personally, it's just more they haven't made me care about them. I don't see the chemistry and I just I don't see what they see each other romantically. Like nothing about their scenes have screened romance. And like I kind of I guess thought they were going there just because it seemed a little obvious. But then they kissed at the Christmas party or like, you know, under the mistletoe. And I was like, I don't see anything here. I don't see anything here. And I love Crockett. Like Crockett is one of my favorite med characters ever. Like I love Crockett. So like, and of course I want to see him in another romantic relationship, especially after the way things with Natalie ended. Like I would love that, but this is not it for me personally, at least like this is not, not it. Agreed. Agreed. So we've still got two, again, there was a lot happening. So we've still got two more kind of just quick little storylines with, First, we've got Dylan and Terrell. So Dylan is again checking in on Carmen and her their son, whose name I can never remember. Again, not really important. And Dylan makes a comment about like Terrell. And according to Carmen, Terrell is still gone. And she just says, you know, like this isn't like him. So later on, Dylan and Stevie are working together and we come across Dylan. He has been brought into the ED because he is found out passed out in a park he has not only od'd and the narcan did nothing for him he also has compartment syndrome in his arm as soon as i heard them say i i kind of figured it was compartment syndrome and like as soon as i heard them say that i can like hear my dad like 
there's just some things that you hear your parents say over and over and over again, right. That, you know, will stick with you. And like, when you're 90 years old, you're going to hear them still saying it in their head. I can hear, like, as soon as they said compartment syndrome, I could hear my dad in my head saying that compartment syndrome is only one is one of the only few true orthopedic emergencies. Like I can hear my dad saying that in my head. I've heard him say it like pretty much my entire childhood I could just like hear my dad in my head saying that exact sentence that like compartment syndrome is one of the few orthopedic emergencies like I could just like hear him saying that in my head so I was like oh duh this is an issue (laughs) why I don't know but like I could just hear my dad in my head saying that um yeah just the things you know but it is apparently like it's it's bad when you know you have compartment syndrome it's bad so I mean, I've watched enough on Chicago to know. Yes. Compartment syndrome, fasciotomy or amputation. Yeah. So he gets the fasciotomy ASAP and it goes well. But like once he kind of comes to it, he is like, I'm ready to get out of here. And even though they don't recommend it, obviously, but like he's like, I want to get out of here. He's like, I don't want to see my wife. He's like, I just want to go home. So they're like, okay. So Stevie brings him the discharge forms and Terrell can't like make them out. Like Stevie has to like go through it with them and he still doesn't really get through them properly. And so when Stevie walks out of the room, she tells Dylan, he's like, I think he can't read. And Dylan's like, what? And he's, she's like, no, like, I think he can't read. And then she points out the fact that like, that would make sense that like why he dropped out of high school, you know, is because like, he got to the point and just kind of, he couldn't read, he, you know, and it got to the point where it was becoming way too hard for him. And so Dylan, you know, much to Terrell's like reluctance, Dylan does a neuro exam on him and like Terrell fumbles his words. He can't recite the words back in order. And so they've kind of come to the conclusion that Terrell has dyslexia. I, I mean, obviously it needs to be confirmed with more tests, but like that is the conclusion. Um, but Dylan and Terrell do have this little nice moment because obviously Terrell, you know, Dylan says like, it's not like, this is something you were born with. Like, it's not your fault. You know, you shouldn't be embarrassed by it. And like, all they have is this little fist bump, but like, it's enough to be like, I guess they're on the same page now, or at least like better. They're not going to be like having fights in the middle of the ED anymore. Um and like you said, we kind of alluded to it earlier too. So then when they leave the room, still like, or Stevie makes the comment about like his life could have been so different if he had just known. Um, but I'm curious, what do you think? So now we've kind of hit a weird, because Dylan and Terrell have kind of hit this weird middle ground, maybe like, where do we go with this? Like, because I was really thinking that like Terrell was going to be not in the picture anymore. And Carmen and Dylan were going to somehow find their way back together because Dylan is clearly in love with her still. And I just thought Terrell wasn't going to be in the picture anymore. And that was that, but now I'm like, so what's happening? See, I'm actually more bought in and more interested in like a potential, like revitalization of their like threesome friendship. Like I thought that was interesting. Like I thought that was the more interesting piece of it was like, they grew up together they were all inseparable and then like life happened and Terrell can't stand Dylan but like they're both clearly good men who just have had struggles and so like and his son 
respects Dylan so much that like you want that like I want to see Dylan become part of their family I've seen and this is just a theory and it's not necessarily my theory but I've seen this theory floating around I'm going to throw it out to you that that whatever their son's name is whose name I cannot remember right is now. actually Dylan's yeah <sighs> I don't want that because it's so cliche it's it would be very cliche but I'm honestly like I am interested like you said in the revitali- revitalization of like the threesome but I'm also dying for more information on like what went down between Carmen and Dylan yeah I am too and I and I I just like I love hearing about characters histories and backstories mm-hmm. and so I'm really interested in like especially it was clear because he was like much more immature and he's now very much like a mature guy to like get to know his younger self yeah but I'm not sure like he's been such a loner since he started that like I'm kind of interested in seeing like him have a family of people yeah that's interesting um I am curious I I'm I'm invested in the story. Like, I'm definitely into this. Like, I definitely am curious to see over the next few episodes, like, where this goes. Um, like, I'm definitely all in on, like, the Dylan stuff, I think. I also want to see, Tur- like, I thought this story was fascinating. It was, like, something I couldn't relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, like, I'm sure it's rooted in reality. And, like, now that Terrell knows this, like unlike Stevie's mom who was like much later in her life and is really now just trying to live the rest like Terrell is much younger and so to like see how he can turn things around with this knowledge like I'm interested to see like he has so much potential and the poor guy just felt stupid yeah and that's like so heartbreaking and like when you especially he probably compared himself to Dylan here you go have this guy same neighborhood who like is this amazing doctor and here he is can't read and to like let him build that confidence to like be something that he never thought he could be yeah uh we did get a couple listener thoughts megan r said i'm happy that dylan finally talked about some of his history with terrell terrell having dyslexia totally shocked me i was not expecting that at all um and jess b said the dylan trial storyline was nice even if i'm not still entirely sure where it's going they're clearly building towards something carmen and dylan have way too much unresolved history and vibes going on and i'm still not convinced that oh darius darius i I just saw that i was like there's a name um it's trail's son but i just don't know how it's all gonna come together yet i do like there was that there was no shame or judgment heaped on trail for not being able to read not that i think anyone at med would judge him for that and that it led to somewhat of a truce between him and dylan i love that because i i didn't think about it that way but like that could have been a real like stevie handled it so well yeah like and so did dylan like that could have been a really bad moment. And instead, like, it was a good, it was like a very meaningful moment. Yeah. And then we last up have this little Dr. Charles. I'm like thing. rolling my eyes here, but like. <laughs> Why? Cause you don't know where this is going or. Literally. Okay. In my notes, I literally wrote Dr. Charles and his therapist is just gross. Interesting. Like, it's just gross. Okay, so let's show, okay. So basically the episode starts, we get this awkward like run in at the coffee cart with Lonnie, the doc the therapist, and Dr. Charles says, you know, like 
he's a, he's very awkward, but he does finally get out some words that like he says, you know, like it is important for me to tell you that the work we did together, like you really helped me a lot. And I just want to thank you for it. And then Lonnie leaves. He has like a little BFF chat with Goodwin where he tells her, like, I think my therapist has feelings for me. And, you know, that's kind of it. And then the episode ends after everything that he just witnessed with, um, you know, Stevie and her mom and whatever. And he basically, he tells Lonnie that he's like, you know, I've been kind of at sea because you told me, like, you could, since you told me you couldn't be my therapist anymore. And he was like, I thought that was because I missed the work that we did together. But now I'm thinking maybe is like what I, you know, like what I really miss is you. Okay. So I'm curious, is the reason you think this is gross is because like you have an issue in shipping with like power dynamics? That's, that could be, I wasn't thinking of it that way, but like, I just like, you hear enough stories of like patient being in love with their therapists and there Mm -hmm. is like this psychological component to why that happens. And it's just like, I can't see it the other way. Like I am just like, these are both two well well done professionals that like even if she were feeling something I can't believe she would ever actually admit that but okay so a couple things on that I I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it before the storyline either about a therapist being in love with their patient but the more I've thought about it since like the last couple of episodes like I think it would kind of surprise me that it hasn't happened before right like you as oh, I'm a sure therapist, I'm sure it has, but like as a therapist, right? Like you sit here and you learn so much about the people that you're treating that like, I'm sure that in some cases it leads to some sort of attraction. Now where I think Lonnie went right, whereas I'm sure other therapists have gone wrong. Other therapists would just like take, maybe take that relationship forward while still having the professional relate right (laughs) yeah right whereas Lonnie at least before anything even remotely romantic has happened took herself out of the professional equation and said like I can't be your therapist anymore because she's realized that you know so I do respect that I think for me the thing that's still kind of like so out of left field or that thing that kind of the reason I feel weird about this still a little bit is that it still just feels like so out of left field like, yeah, I guess the part that gets to me is despite, yes, I, I agree, therapist learns a lot about you, but they only see you in one context. So yeah. to be truly like in love with somebody that you haven't seen outside of a one on one by yourselves in a room, them, you serving in one role, them serving in another role, like doesn't seem like true logical love. However, what we don't know is like they clearly are in a professional like they clearly run in with each other professionally right like like I kind of want to know like do they maybe see each other out like is it such a case I mean Chicago is a big city so I find it hard to believe that Dr. Charles couldn't find a neutral therapist who he doesn't work but that aside this Chicago is very small as we know um like maybe she knows of him professionally and admires right. him that like like that's the part that would make me believe it more beyond like her falling in love with him from therapy right like I would have been more if there was like an attraction to like she admired him professionally and like she heard other people talk good things about him but instead it sounded like I fell in love with you from our therapy together and that's the part I don't buy 
Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I am kind of curious. I guess this is going to continue and I guess we're going to see them. Cause this is clearly Dr. Charles realizing that like, he may also have feelings for right. her. So like, I guess we're going to see them kind of work through that and like date a little bit, but like, I guess we'll just have to see where this goes. Cause I don't really know at this point. I just want Dr. Charles to have a relationship that, like, isn't weird or someone dying. Like, give him a real, like, person. Yeah. Um, so Jess said that, again, more listener thoughts. Jess said, one of the few misses for me in this episode, and it wasn't even really a big one, was Dr. Charles and his therapist. And it's not that bad. Not that it's bad. But, in fact, I think they're kind of cute in that, like, awkward way. But it's always been drilled into me that a therapist dating the client is unethical. So I'm not really sure I can condone the storyline going further, which is a shame because Dr. Charles has literally never had a like a romantic storyline, which I mean, he did have his ex-wife come back, Cece, and then she died. So that was kind of, you know, ruined. But yeah, other than Cece, we've never really had like Dr. Charles have a romance. Yeah, so... Yeah, I guess we'll just have to see where this goes. I, it, it's not even that the unethical part that bothers me. I just, I need more time with it, I think. Maybe I'll like it in a couple episodes. But. I think I would have liked it better if it were not his current therapist, but like somebody he was referred to and wanted to start seeing, who oh, then was like, actually, I can't, why? Like, and that being right. the banter and being like, okay, this is like, like maybe it was somebody he had gotten to know around the hospital first and then he was recommended this person and they were like, I really can't. Like that, that I could have gotten behind. But the fact that like she's been his therapist who worked through some like real issues with him, like right, that power dynamic, I mean, we'll go back, like back to it there. That power dynamic makes me very uncomfortable. I just, now that I pointed, like now that you said you didn't like that, I'm just like, I guess Rachel doesn't like power dynamic things in her... I will say I, I, it's you are clearly most... not a taboo romance reader for sure. Uh, no, I am clearly not. And I am probably one of the only like huge West Wing fans who does not get behind Josh and Donna. Yeah, I knew that, that too. Yeah. Which like I want to, but I just can't. Oh, kills me. I know. Kills me. All right. So that's it for med. Any other med thoughts, Rachel? No. I know we spent a lot of time talking about it. There was a lot to get. There was a lot. Everybody had some, like everybody had something this week going on. And some of them had multiple things, which made it really hard. Yeah. But let's move into fire. I absolutely love this. I, I really, I was definitely under the like, okay, after Casey left, like, and you know, Stella being gone, like the show definitely was not at its like, a game a level but like these last couple of episodes like they've really kind of hit they're starting to hit their stride again and I feel like it's really showing it it has been every time fire comes on for the last three weeks it has been felt like such a magical moment to find out to get a new fire episode and then end it and be like this wasn't a letdown like this yeah. was this was, was the fire good. that I've missed yeah. like yeah yeah. Oh, it, for it, sure. it has given me so much joy. For sure. And I'll, there, there are parts of the, you know this, but there are parts of this that I can't, don't love. But all in all, this gave me lots of joy and is making me excited for the rest of the season. 
Yeah. So let's start with Stella and Pelham. Um, so basically, we start off and like 81 squad three, they get called out to this call. Like, how about on this call where basically a guy kind of like swerved and drove off his truck, drove his truck partly off a bridge. And then like he's hanging on to this light pole that's like bent down again. The, the actual like call part is not that important. But what is important is so this truck 72 also gets called to help out. And like they are the definition of pathetic. They can't do anything right. Stella's like, go put this, I forget what you call it, but like the pole that like helps stabilize the truck, like go put it at the end of the back tire and the guy like can't do it. They don't know how to strap something down. Like they are, again, the definition of pathetic. They almost hurt Severide. So I can't support them. Like they're just like, they can't do anything right whatsoever. No. Um, and so they go and like after the call is done, whatever, Severide is fine. Severide is fine. Um, they talk to the lieutenant after the call and he's mentioned something about like he's moving to Arizona. So he hasn't really had enough time to like whip the truck into shape. And he's like, you know, they mean well, but they're still in that lump of cold stage, which is kind of a bummer because he thought he was going to be able to do it. And now he's leaving. But you know what's really great? Yes. And I don't think we would have seen this with Casey because he he's a little bit of a hothead. But like, even though those guys screwed up, no, and like Herman would have done the same if we were called there because he's a hothead. But like, nobody was mean to them. That's true. Like, like I really loved, it like shows me the heart of 81 that like Stella was like, Stella and Pelham were just so like sympathetic as opposed to being annoyed and angry. Yeah. And like, it it was it was really really refreshing and almost disconcerting because I could hear in the back of my head like Casey or Herman being like cursing at them and like saying they're worthless and like whatever it was. And you clearly have two very different lieutenants here, which is just it's really nice. I mean, Severide too. He would have been mean, yeah, um, if he were not hanging in the air. Hanging, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right that. Casey and Herman too would have taken a definitely a different approach than Pelham and Stella have. Yeah. Um, and so they get back from the call and like Stella is clearly, as soon as she heard the comment from that other Lieutenant, like she's had this idea floating around in her head. So she goes to see Bowden and she asks him about taking that Lieutenant spot over at 72. And like Bowden is surprised at first, like given, you know, that she's ready given their last conversation on the topic, but again, kind of, we were kind of just talking about it with Med, but like Stella also makes this comment about perspective. And she says, you know, like perspective is a funny thing. Like sometimes you've got to get out of your own head and look at yourself through other people's eyes. So good. It was such a good line. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a quote that I'm like, oh yeah. And again, like some, I needed to hear that this week. I don't know why, but like sometimes that she's right that like, you know. It was a good follow-up from last week because it's yes. just, like, what she needed. Yeah. And so he mentions, he's like, okay, then, like, you know, I'll talk to the battalion chief, like, you know, go from there. He's like, I can't make any promises, but, like, we'll see what we can do. So she goes to Severide's quarters and mentions, like, the opening at 72. And, of course, like, Severide is nothing but supportive of her. He's like, you're going to make a damn good lieutenant, like, wherever you go, which, like, is not as good as you got this Stella kid, but like again, just supportive Severide is always amazing. 
Um, there was a moment, like I, I actually thought about this as I was watching it. There was a moment, and this is just me, like all googly over severed. But like, if you looked at his face and his eyes during, he didn't smile. He like was the epitome of like smizing. Like he just said it like with a straight face, but was like so it was like great acting, or at least this severed lover believed it was great acting. Like he just said it so heartfelt without like. Like you expected him to smile, but like he knew it was a serious moment. It was it was wonderful. I really loved that moment. Yeah, if you guys couldn't tell, Severide is clearly Rachel's favorite fire character, like by far. In my Severide jersey right now. Yes, I I love it. Um, and then he goes on, you know, she's like, Well, what about us? Like different houses, different shifts. And he's like, We'll make it work. We always do. And it's just like, I love that these two are back solid, like engaged taking over the lieutenant world like i love it so much it's good i do like there is a part of it this is is me being logical ruining things again (laughs) however when she asked for 72 i kind of wanted to like bowden to be more surprised by like stella's amazing and great and magical but she's green and that's not the first challenge i would want to give her interesting and like that made me nervous because I was like is she setting herself out to fail like she could be really good at this but I also can't buy her being like amazing at this because like it's her first lieutenant gig yeah but I think and granted obviously small sample size right but like in the moments we've seen her be a leader she has excelled beyond expectations so I think she would be great at it, but right. It's hard to say for sure because being a full-time lieutenant, every shift is definitely different than like stepping in. Right. Even even for someone who's on furlough, so say like four or five shifts in a row, it's still different because you eventually have to give that position back. Right. Versus and like I do need to remember. Time. I do need to remember 81 is a, 51 is a big house. Like 81 clearly does like more exciting calls like Mm -hmm. for all we know 72 is probably tame they're just getting little house fires and really like they are more newbies who are like training to be future 81 style firefighters and they need someone like Stella yeah so Stella leaves the Severide's quarters and like it's she heads back towards the common room and she's like looking in there fondly you know like everyone's kind of goofing off dancing whatever and Bowden comes over to her and tells her that like that the battalion chief at the other house, you know, he's on board with it. Like, so basically if she wants it, like Bowden will put in the paperwork and, you know, she does. I loved, I loved the moments of her looking fondly, but it also was like, something's coming. Like the whole thing, the whole time in my head, I was like, something's coming. This is too dramatic. Something's coming. Something's yeah. coming. Um, but I did love, like, there's a couple times in this episode that Bowden just looks on as like at Stella as like a proud papa like proud <sighs> papa bear Bowden moment and it's just like this was one of them and I was just like I love this yes his his act like he was phenomenal he he was great on it hers I think just with the way the music swelled like I was kind of like just knowing fire like maybe if I hadn't watched however 200 something episodes I wouldn't but like knowing fire it was kind of like I don't like this foreshadowing. I don't know where this is going. I don't like the sad Stella what feeling. What is like obvious that she's not going to like, th- like you said, there was clearly something else brewing there because it's obvious by that point that like she's they- they're putting too much emphasis on the long game and the like 
people gonna miss her or whatever because she's clearly not gonna go anywhere that's exactly it like the longing was a little too much and so I mean we'll get we'll get where my issue was so basically Stella and Severide pull up you know to the house for next shift and like Stella gets the email that like she got it everything set her paperwork went through like and this is gonna be her last shift of 51 she's got one last shift and then the next shift she'll start at 72 so Pelham stops by Bowden's office later as soon as they get the shift and Bowden's like, well, you're going to need to start looking for a new firefighter on truck because Stella is leaving. And so he's kind of taken aback by it. He's not surprised, but like he is kind of taken aback by the fact that like she is going to go for a leadership position again, because everyone kind of knew that Stella had said she wasn't ready. And now all of a sudden she is ready. And so Pelham goes and finds Stella in the bunk room and they have a, you know, really nice heartfelt conversation. I mean, my understanding was that you were looking to take a step back from leadership. I was, but when the call came at me this time, I just found myself really wanting to answer. It just felt right. Sure, sure. You know, bad news bears. Oh, I'm going to turn them into the Yankees. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, listen, I just want to thank you. You know, I wasn't here when 51 needed a lieutenant to step in after Casey left, and you answered that call. Yeah, I've... I have seen for myself what a great leader you are on 81. And it gives me confidence to move outside the house knowing that the truck that I love is in your hands. I really wish, because Stella kept saying she wasn't ready, but I think for us as as viewers, we knew it was because she was scared. Like like her not coming home, like a lot of like fear. And I feel like she had good enough relationships in that house that somebody else besides Severide would have noticed that. And the fact that it was just like, it, like Pelham's comment there almost took me aback, even though like he clearly wouldn't have known her so that well. So he could have, but like even just the way she's been behaving since she's been back and like how strong she's been to me, I thought he was more upset by losing her because she was such a good partner to him. And like the way he said it just felt awkward because I don't, I don't think anyone thought she really wanted to take a step back from leadership. Yeah. I, it's just, I don't know. I think this kind of, and again, we'll get to the end scene in a second, but I think so much of this storyline, like if you think of it, it makes sense on the surface and it works on the surface, but if you sit there and really try to think hard and like analyze the shit out of it, like we all do, because yeah. we're fire fans. And I mean, on this podcast, Sheena and I, that's what we do. It doesn't quite add up, but I think it's, they had to do again, the best thing. It's could, a means given to a good end. Well, and just given the circumstances of like them having to get Miranda out for five episodes or whatever, right. and then, you know, come up with a reason on why she was gone and why Stella would be not communicating. Like, but it works kind of like it's a, it's a solution that kind of works on the surface. But if you sit there and try to think about it too hard, it like doesn't still quite make sense but like it's enough to put a band-aid on it and just be like okay we got we're done we're in we're and i guess i'm the, and i guess because it was only five it was like five or six episodes and for me it was probably one day right like 
I actually res- like I liked how that story was told. I felt like yes, I felt it was weird that she just kept trying like destroy, but like the fact. To me, it was a lot of her, like, being scared of something she didn't expect was going to happen, like, now happening. There's a lot going on in her life, a lot of change, and she just, like, reacted to the fear by running away. And so, like, I actually appreciated that part of the story, that now that, like, I can sit and watch the episodes more slowly and think about it, it's harder for me. Like, I find more holes in the later, in how it's being resolved. Yeah. But so, speaking of how it ends up being resolved in the end so basically after shift everyone's at molly's and pelham pulls stella aside and they have this i think one of my favorite moments of the whole season honestly you're not leaving truck 81 to go over to 72. i appreciate the thought but i have made up my mind no doing not leaving 81 to go over to 72 as i am Look, when I came to 51, I never expected to find a permanent house to be a lieutenant. I just figured it'd be a few shifts and then down down the road. Pelham. But I got way more of an education than just being a lieutenant. I learned what a house should be, what a truck should be. 51 taught me that great house isn't just Officers or firefighters, it's both together, treating each other like like a second family. Yeah, and you are part of that family now. Well, now I know. After what I've seen here, I can carry 51 with me to truck 72 and make that into something to be proud of. And I may not be able to make them into the Yankees, but I'm shooting for the good news bears. Okay, but Bowden. I already cleared it. At the firehouse, you thanked me. But I want to thank you. I wouldn't even be in the CFD right now if it weren't for you. You're not just an inspiration to Kylie and the girls you train. I see Gallo look up to you, Ritter, hell, everyone, including me. I'm just glad I keep your seat warm for you. So I am curious, though, kind of like what we were just talking about. I know there was a lot of discourse about this on Twitter about like how it wrapped up and the fact that like it's you know did we all know that Stella earned it right like it was it was always supposed to be Stella's spot to begin with like yeah again the real life situation happening it didn't end up the way we all thought it was going to with just her sliding in after Casey left but like do you think they hand like this kind of ended the right way like do you feel like at all that it feels like Pelham just handed it to her like you know what I'm saying like do you feel like this kind of wrapped up in the way that it should have so I've spent a lot of the last 24 hours thinking about this. Okay. I, 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 it has been like on my mind. Um, I have not been able to come up with what a better solution would have been. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I, I told you right away. I didn't. I didn't. It felt too easy. A like who really negotiates jobs like that. Like 
like what and I also felt for Pelham because the last we knew he was like really he was finally welcomed somewhere he was somewhere he was respected he had a permanent spot like right that doesn't just go away those feelings so for him to have been like to me the only thing I could think of was if he had been less grateful for a permanent spot and more like I like jumping around I like going from place to place and taking what I learn I'm ready to go or if he had been more in that first scene more of a mentor to the like I like taking a ragtag group and and fixing them up like I think maybe that I could have bought a little more but beyond that I could not come up with like how do you solve the solution for someone who ended up being a really good guy yeah without like either something devastating happening or putting cell at a different house and I was like I can't get there so this was the means to the end we needed so I'll take it and I'll be happy even if like it felt a little too easy that's interesting yeah I I do agree with that but also so two comments after that so one I will say even though it felt a little weird for him to be so willing to leave 51, I do have to say one of my favorite parts about this whole conversation and exchange between the two of them is his reflecting on realizing that like what he learned from 51 and how he is willing to take, you know, he says, you know, like it's that 51 taught me that, you know, a great house isn't just officers and firefighters. It's both, you know, together, like treating each other like a second family. And he's like, I can carry 51 with me to truck 72 and make that into something to be proud of. Like, I did really like seeing that reflection because like you said, he, he, while he was very grateful for 51, obviously giving him, you know, the chance to still a, just be a firefighter in general, but B kind of make him really a part of that house but he learned about the magic that is 51 and is now willing and wanting to take that somewhere else and create something that I think he could probably feel a little bit more like is his and not just like he stepped into someone else's shoes um I like that a lot like I hadn't I I I like that you because I don't think I don't think what he said actually got there quite as well as you expressed what you got out of what he said and I think maybe that's the story I'm missing is the buying of like, he was in Casey's shadow the whole time. Mm-hmm. You have this tall, attractive white man. Like they, they have enough in common. Like you don't want a subpar Casey. Yeah. And so like, and like he coming in as a Lieutenant into a house that's that tight, like, like I kind of wish he had just said that he's like, this isn't my home. This is your home. And right. I'm ready to make a new home for me. Like, I really, I, I love that. I had never thought of that. And I really love that as his reasoning. I will say, though, in terms of, like, minor characters with, like, relatively long arcs, you know, he was around for seven, eight, nine episodes, something like that. Um, I will say this is probably the best exit I've seen them do with, like, a minor character. Like, I actually really like and as someone who I felt in the and especially in the very beginning I felt like it was really hard for me to come around to Pelham because it did just feel like he was kind of acting as Casey's replacement and then especially once Stella started to going to bat for Pelham then I could go to bat for Pelham because Stella especially and again too Stella wasn't around so it just felt like he was also then taking Stella's place but once Stella started going to bat for Pelham I felt like I could as a viewer could go to bat for you know and that I could like Pelham And so I just feel like by the end, I really enjoyed Pelham and I enjoyed his arc. 
And I really, if this is the way he's going to leave, like, I'm very happy with this exit. Well, that's like, exactly when I say it means to an end that was like a good end. Like, not just Stella, like for Pelham. Like, I didn't want something bad to happen to him. I didn't want him to end up being an awful person. Like, I wanted him to have a happy ending. And like, this is yeah. as pretty happy as it can get. Like, yeah. although I do hope we see at least get a few, like, him pop back in in future years. Yeah. That Popping would be on nice. a fire together. Like, that would be nice. Um, like I said, I, my only, if again, and this is, I don't know how else they could have really done it. Like my only complaint would be kind of like you said, like it does feel like he just kind of handed it to Stella and Stella, we all know that Stella earned it, but like, it didn't really feel like she earned it in the same way that like, it would have felt maybe that much more earned if she was stepping in after Casey. But like, yeah. again, that's just kind of like the way, like, I don't think they would have been able to come up with something like that that wouldn't have felt otherwise awkward and weird or like killing off you know like killing off Pelham or something like I don't know like I I was was gonna say at least she's not coming in with him being dead and them having to deal with a dead lieutenant yeah I'm much happier with this exit um I I I would like to propose that when Stella and Severide are off on their honeymoon Pelham can fill in as a lieutenant on 81 yeah I could take that 100% Cause like, I feel like that could be a good humorous episode where there's like a new guy who doesn't know Pelham and the old guys do. And like, interesting. I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I know it's not going to happen. Think, this is fantasy Dal- Chicago well, fire. And I think Brett Dalton's a little too big of a name just I know. to like bring back for like one episode. That's the kind of the problem, and especially like they're not in LA. Right. So to bring him back to Chicago, to Chicago. for like that, but we can dream and it can exist in fan fiction and you know, all Here the we things. Go. There we go. Um, so, you know, or they go on like a really extended honeymoon and it's an entire season, but nobody would want that. So like, let's no, not Yeah, we're not even going to go there. We're not going to go there. It, that idea can live in fan fiction. Somebody write that fanfic. We'll can be an it. entire summer while all of us are, everyone's on hiatus. Yeah, that. Um, so Megan R said, I didn't like Pelham at first because I was bitter about Casey leaving, but he grew on me and I could not think of a much better send off. I'm actually going to miss him. And then she also said, Stella Kate is a new Lieutenant of truck 81 as she should be. Hell yes. Hell yes. Um, Heather said Pelham taking the spot on truck 72 so that Stella could stay on 81 was so touching. You could tell that he was really fitting in at 51 and loved being there. I like that they did not do something crazy to get rid of him. And maybe this means we will see Pelham and his bad news fairs in the future. Yes, I am. Even if they're just referenced. Yeah. Even if they're just referenced in dialogue, maybe like, Hey, we just came back from a fire that we were fighting with these guys. Like Pelham's doing great. Like, yeah, that would be a dialogue. Right. Yeah. You don't have to bring Brett Dalton back necessarily. You could just reference. Yeah. That'd be nice. Or like maybe he's heard on the like calling for help. Oh, yeah. You can do that from anywhere. I don't know. Um, I don't I don't know when I became such a big Pelham fan. <laughs> um, Jess said, I'm sa- a little sad to see Pelham go. He's really grown on me while he's been here. But at the same time, I'm very happy that Stella will be staying. They only got a couple of episodes together, really, but I thought those two had some really nice scenes together in this episode, and I love that moment at the end when Pelham told Stella how inspiring she is. Very excited to see Lieutenant and Stella going forward. I could not agree. More. And Haley G said, props to Fire for one of the better character exits. A character knew they were ready to move on, did something good before leaving, kindly exited stage left. No mess necessary. Yeah. Like I said, good way I, to phrase is, it. I think by far my favorite like minor 
relatively long character arc, you know, like exit. You know, I, I really enjoyed this one. If we had to have somebody in term between Casey and Sella, I think he was as good as we It can. worked out that, yes, I think he ended up being the right choice. Knowing in ret- now knowing, looking yes. back on it. Looking back on it. I definitely did not agree, like, episodes six, seven, and eight. But now, now I'm okay with it. Now I'm okay yeah. with it. Well, and I'm still, I, I am still feeling very heartfelt for how the team stood up for him. Yeah. Um, I thought that was well done. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of things that I am also in on, but you are not in on. We no, have- I'm in on it. We'll talk about it. Okay. I'm in on it. It's just taking some Getting emotional there. maturity. Yes. Okay. So we have to obviously talk about Brett Violet Hawkins. So obviously, obviously. Um, so basically shift begins and one of the paramedics from like the first shift tells Brett and Violet that the cab heater is broken on Ambo. It's going to be two weeks before they can get it fixed, which sounds crazy, especially in Chicago with like the how and how often they drop into the negatives. That just sounds crazy. Sounds awful. Yeah. So basically they go drop their patient off at med and who else do they run into? But chief Hawkins and like, I love the scene. I think it's adorable that Violet forgets how to use her words. Like she's like, especially because Violet is someone who is so like confident and so with it all the time. And like, she just responds with such like snappy, like, you know, wit. Um, to Violet, everyone. Violet crushing is really cute. And because, like, so the yeah. fact, yeah, like the fact that she's crushing so hard and forgot how to like use her words, which is what she's known for. It just, I thought it was adorable. It almost makes me wonder because we didn't get Violet's perspective when she and Gallo were together. Like it was really Gallo's perspective because Violet was the right. outsider. Right. It almost makes me wonder like what was Violet doing behind the seat, like with her friends during that time or yeah. was like, is that the, tr- is that pointing to the fact that like Violet and Gallo aren't, aren't real? Like we're never really as, as true yeah, as this. Interesting. Like, because right. she, she's so like on top of like, she was so like snappy and smart with Gallo and yeah. like it, it's interesting well I think a I think that's just always been Violet and Gallo's dynamic right at least as long as we've known them and like even what Gallo hinted at while they were in like the academy together that like clearly right. that just seems to be their dynamic and they've had a longer like they've known each other longer and had a right. longer term I mean quote-unquote friendship whereas like Hawkins and her just had this immediate connection. Yeah. Yeah. That's an understatement of the century. Um, but so while they're, they're like, what Violet does get out in words is that like she briefly, briefly mentions that 61's heat is broken. Um, and then like they walk away or whatever. But like as they walk away, like the looks between Violet and Hawkins, like as they walk away, like not only is she so into him, like he's so he, into her it's so yeah, cute he is so smitten like it's so cute beyond smitten it's so cute i die i die i die i die i don't i die i don't have anything else to say but i die um so brett and violet are on their way back from bed and like brett brings up the whole like hawkins thing and violet mentions that like they're not dating she's like you know we just had a night like i mean there might be more nights sure but like we're not really talking about it like it's a thing and my do we really thing- think there hasn't been another night yet 
no, I think she's just trying to imply the fact that like it's not serious, you know, like she's in it's him, not but serious. like it's not serious. Because I have trouble believing that it's only been that one night and that after last episode there wasn't another night. I was like thinking about this for a while. Yeah, no, I think it's been more nights. I think so she is lying to, to say, but like we had a night that like, you know, meaning that yes. like it's not It's not serious. serious. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, why aren't you, like, you're clearly into him. He's clearly into you. Like, why are we not talking about it? Like, it's a thing, I guess, because of the power dynamic, you know, the work. Yes. It, but, like, anyway, so we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, so all of a sudden, like, Rhett gets this message about, like, oh, you need to bring the Ambo ASAP. Like, let's get it fixed. And Violet's like, oh, cool. They got an opening. Awesome. When they get there. They find out that someone from HQ sent in a request to push Ambo 61 to the front of the line. And obviously, it was Hawkins. They mentioned Hawkins. The paperwork said EMS, whatever. Like, it was Hawkins. And Violet's like, you know, I didn't ask him to do that. And Brett points out to her, she's like, no. But, like, he took it upon himself to rig the system for his. And she's like, the woman he's involved with. Um, Because, obviously, there are no labels on this relationship yet. But so... While they're waiting for the Ambo, like, Violet is trying to, like, defend Hawkins and, like, their relation, you know, whatever. Brett points out, like, to her, like, how it's going to look to everyone else. I'm sure he was just trying to help and didn't realize he'd be inconveniencing a bunch of firefighters. Yeah, but nobody likes cutters and the blowback is going to be on us. Okay, in Evan's defense, in Chief Hawkins' defense, he always goes the extra mile for his paramedics. He rounded up all of your patients for your paramedicine presentation. That's true. And I heard he got extra syringes for Ambulance 19. That's what I heard. Okay, listen, you might want to say something to him because when people find out about your thing, they're not going to think he's doing it for all of his paramedics. They're going to think he does it for you. Okay, I will talk to him. Okay. So let's get into this. So I know, obviously, you are trying to convince yourself to get more into Violet and Hawkins, but you struggle with the power dynamics of it all. And I I just want to hear your perspective on it. So, and I guess this is a similar situation to what I just said. Like, I want the internal dialogue in Hawkins' head to know that, like, he recognizes there's, there's, because he's the one in power here. Right. Like, I fault Violet not at all. Like, she's like, she clearly understands the problem, but like, she's the one who is in the position of lesser power. And so I want to hear him acknowledge, like, this might be a problem here and that he's not just this legacy bro. Like, like, I like him, but mm-hmm. like, he was introduced as this guy who's like way too young to be a chief. He, his dad was in this job. Like, so I, I have my one my one remaining issue is I have trouble not hearing at least some internal debate from him and recognizing like there is a problem here. Like he just like white every time she's brought it up, he just like brushes it off in such a way. Interesting. And yeah, because the only thing we've really like he knows, like obviously I he's clearly looked it up that like it's not an issue. Right that they can get fired over right like that we saw that after you know in the scene of their morning after because he's the one that brings it up he's like there's no issue here whatever right but like and like yes there is nothing you are going to get fired over but like that doesn't mean you don't have to like be careful in how right i want to hear him i want to hear him having a beer with a friend and explaining like look i really like her like i know this is problematic we're gonna have to deal with it but like like i just want to hear him acknowledge that 
And then the other piece that I like, like once it's once it started to sing with me, this is all fiction. So like if it's a ship I want to like, I should like it. So I'm I'm getting there. Um him them making out in his office last episode was just stupid to me. I was just like, like, no, I was happy to see it. Like my heart loved it, but I was just like, why on earth would you do that in your office? Like that is just asking for trouble. So I don't know. Clearly his assistant has no care whatsoever. Like she just let Violet in, but um, I am curious though. So there was a lot of discourse on Twitter about Brett and like, was she too harsh with Violet was, you know, the way she said this, like the way this scene kind of came across, there was, I know a lot of discourse on like, was Brett in the right to be pointing this out? And I, my personal opinion is that like, I think maybe her tone was a little, it kind of came across as like a little harsh. I don't think she was trying to be though. I think, you know, I think there's a difference between like, I didn't take this as Brett being anti Hawkins. I think I took it as like, again, Brett being a good friend by pointing out power dynamics. Like, because I think that, like I said, I think there's a difference between being like, I hate this guy. He's not right for you. And like I said, pointing out the power dynamics because you care about your friend and just want her to be careful. And I think it's totally, totally just, I think, I think maybe again, I think her tone was a little harsh, maybe a little bit. It came across as that, but like, I think Sylvie was just being the latter and like pointing out, she cares about Violet and she just, wants to make sure that Violet knows what she's getting into. Yeah, I think Brett was one, being the older and wiser friend who is yeah. just like in this awkward situation because she wants her to be happy but also knows like there, there are some knots here. Um, and I think the other piece I would I would consider is like for her, it's a tough situation to be in as like Violet Sr. and her friend and yeah. recognizing like I might be judged in this situation. Like I'm her partner. So if people look badly on her, I could be impacted. Like there is an aspect of her own career that she can get worried about while she's still happy with her friend. And I think that can make her moody or more uncomfortable with the situation. Well, and especially too, like Brett, like you said, Brett works with Violet, but Brett also works with Hawkins. So like if something were to go wrong in their relationship, not would it, you know, like, not only would it reflect maybe bad on Brett, but like would it reflect would it affect their relate like her working relationship with Hawkins too? Because obviously totally. Hawkins is a supervisor. I'm assuming still on paramedicine because he made a comment about it in the hospital. But like, you know, so she would still have to work with him and like would that make that relationship awkward and you know, yada yada yada. And it's just, you know, like, yeah, for sure. I don't think Sylvie meant anything wrong by pointing it out to Violet. I just think it maybe kind of came across a little harsh. Yeah, um, I, I think, think it came across harsh, but I think she had every right to be like concerned herself. Yeah. And this is, and, you know, and again, going back to last week a little bit, this is, I think, like I said this to Gina last week, I think Gallo was trying to say something similar to this and just missed the boat completely. Like, yeah, I think I, this is what Gallo was trying to do was like, be concerned about Violet and like point it out to her that like, you should be careful, but it came across as slut shaming and that is not right. And I think that's the difference between Gallo and Brett in this particular situation. Like, Brett is in a position where it's appropriate for her as a close friend, as another female, as a like partner in this role to be able mm-hmm. to say something like this, where Gallo is 
the jealous ex slash want to be with her and also unrelated to this entire like hierarchical situation yeah and so he's just reflecting on it from an as an outsider yeah for sure um so like we said so basically violet says she's like okay i'm gonna talk to him so at the start of next shift the paramedic from the previous shift like makes a comment about the heat being fixed and she's like i don't know how you got it bumped into the front of the line but whatever you do keep it go keep doing it and it's just like okay if you only knew what that really meant which means like violet having sex with hawkins but it's fine that's what that means but okay um and violet mentions to brent she's like you know i haven't talked to evan yet but like i will i promise also side note i loved every time violet called him evan like something about that was also just like really cute to me i don't know why um probably because everything i find everything they do cute but um (laughs) So Violet, speaking of Gala, though, Violet runs into Gala. She goes to put her bag away and he apologizes to her for the comments that he made last week. He says, you know, I get too protective with the people I care about. And I overstepped the other day when I commented on you and Hawkins, like it's none of my business. Do you obviously Violet took the apology. She, you know, forgave him. But do you buy his apology or? Oh, yeah, I buy his apology. Gala, like. Gallo, like many other of these guys, speaks too quickly and reacts too quickly. And I think he knew he did that. Like, yeah, he might be sad. And yeah, he might mean. He reminds me a little bit of Will Halstead. He speaks a lot of the truth, but says it too fast without thinking. Yeah. Like, and it kind of fucks him up. And Right. So Gallo wasn't wrong with what he said. It just wasn't his place to say it. And it wasn't appropriate. Right. I think he acknowledged. Like, I, I think he said it right. He didn't say, like, I'm wrong. I I take it back. Like you said, I was being protective. Yeah. And I buy that. Yeah, I buy it. I think if I were in Violet's situation, I don't know if I would have been as quick to forgive Gallo. Like, I don't know about that, but I do think he was being sincere and I do, you know, I understand why she accepted it. Well, and I don't know if she forgave him. She might've said, okay, like I forgive you, but like, I think it's it's still to come how they how they interact with each other to see right. if he's really forgiven him. And that's why I'm okay with it. Like I think it's okay. I think what he said is great. I think he meant it. I buy it. But I don't think that means everything's automatically fixed between them. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so this kind of wraps up because so they're walk Brett and Violet are walking out of shift and Brett asks Violet like whether she has plans with Hawkins and Violet just like, you know, oh no, like it was a one night thing, whatever. Cut again, this is why I say I agree with you that like it's clearly not just been a one night thing because cut to them like busting through Evan's apartment, like making out all down the hall. Again, we get another push against the wall. Clearly that's her thing. And I'm not complaining about it because it's really hot. But like they're they're like mid makeout and Violet mentioned she's like, you know, I appreciate the like the fact that you got the heat fix on Ambo, but she's like, I don't want anyone thinking that he get like I get special favors. And he acknowledges he's like noted. And then of course he's like, but I'm not really thinking about that right now. And they move straight to the bedroom and that's that. And this part is why I love Violet, because that's so something by like you know, Violet is always yeah. thinking about things in her head and like just the right. way she comes off. And so the fact that like she does that there, just like it's perfect because it very much fits her character that she would be the one trying to have this conversation while they're making out. Yeah, for sure. It definitely feels like a very Violet 
thing. Um, I also love too that like I think that while he it kind of seems in the moment maybe like Evan played it off as like okay noted. Like I think he really understood like what she was saying and like he. I do too. And I do too. I love that it wasn't some big dramatic moment. Like I love the fact like it feels very them kind of like you said that it happened like mid makeout. Like Violet said it was on her mind. She said it. He clearly got it. And then it's like, okay, we're going to go back to making out and having. And it wouldn't, I wouldn't have bought it for his character. If he like wanted to stop and have a conversation. Like he seems like too much of a laid back bro. Um, I say bro in like a good way that he like would be like, okay, I get it. And like, let's move on. That he's thought about this, right? Like, I think while we may not have seen it, I think he's clearly thought about every angle of their relationship, how it works, whatever. And like, yeah, maybe he shouldn't have pushed Ambo 61 to the front of the line to fix his heat. That was probably not the right move. Like, he gets it. Like, that what he did was probably not the best thing for their relationship. Like, okay, cool. I've, you know, we moved on. Like, we just, you know, moved on. And I just, I think it fit them. I think it felt right. Like, he, you know, I just, I loved everything about it. Well, like, to Violet's events, Violet said very early on, like, he did this for this other Ambo. Like, he protects his Ambos. Right. And I think the part that neither of them got to that Brett was trying to get to was, he, you shouldn't, we can't, like, we actually have to get less favors than every other Ambo in this situation. Well, and, like, like, I don't think either of them got to that yet. Well, I know they've kind of, like, Violet obviously was worried last week about the perception of other people. And, like, yes, she may not really give a damn, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't going to give a damn. Right, exactly. Which is why I think, like, that was what Brett, like, I think Brett has the forethought to recognize that. And I think Violet and Hawkins are going to slowly get to that point of, like, you actually are going to have it worse than everyone else because I have to be even harder on you. Yeah. Um, which isn't going to be a problem, but it's just like, I think it's new to both of them. Yeah. But I do think, and again, kind of going back to my comment about like the fact that they were just able to move on, like uh, Hawkins takes the note and like moves on. Like, again, I think that goes to the point of like him being a man while Gallo is still clearly a child, because I think if this had been like a Gallo and Violet, thing like i think gallo would have taken it personally been offended by it like, <laughs> freaked out you know, started crying yeah, like had a whole conversation yada 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 and like i just again i think this shows the difference in the maturity levels between like where we were at with gallo and a potential violent relationship and like where we're at with like hakami which is like hawkins is clearly a man and like this is definitely I, not gallo i i don't know if i will go that far yet but i would like to see the outcome of how Hawkins, like, again, we don't know enough about Hawkins, and he just, like, he doesn't talk enough for me. Like, not that he doesn't, but, like, I don't know enough about him, and so I still have, like, he's a nice guy, like, I like, like, I like a lot of him, he's growing on me, he's a nice guy, but we don't know him in the same way we know some of the other guys, I, and so I don't, I I still, I want to make sure he's going to take care of them in the right way. Like, I want to trust him, I just, and I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. Well, I clear. Okay, so two things. One, uh, clearly we're going to because he's still around in at least episode 16. So like he's going to be around for the next couple weeks, which thank God because we love Jimmy on this podcast, obviously. Um, but also, too, I think that's kind of the problem with like the fact that he's a side. You know, he's not a series regular. Totally. Like he's not around it. But you know, like. It's kind of going to be hard, I think, to get 
I mean, I'm obviously very invested in it already, but, you know, like you said, for this relationship to eventually, if they choose to go there, really get fleshed out, it is kind of hard to do when the other half of, when one half of the relationship is, you know, a minor recurring, whatever you want to call it, character, and you just don't get to spend as much time with them, like you do the Stellarides or the Bretzies or, you know, any other major relationship on any of the shows, just because of the fact that, like, they're, they get more screen time. Well, I don't even know if I need the screen time as much as I just need more longevity to see that like everything like Violet is taken care of. He's good to her. They figure out the professional stuff. Like I just need more longevity to know that he's not just like, he's not done this with other ambulance drivers before or other people who work for him. Like I, I am protective of our 51 people (laughs) that I want, I want to be cautious and hesitant that this is the right thing. I'm believing it is, but I, I, I'm worried for her. I get that. And I think I, I do think, I mean, again, we've seen a little bit of that, obviously when Hawkins like gave her the award and she kind of had the same things of like, did I just, you know, I don't know if I deserve it. And he was like, no, like, of course you do. And he was like, you know, we shouldn't even be like, maybe we should stay away from each other because, you know, you need to know that you earned it because you earned it, not because I kind of have a crush on you. And so I think we've started to see that, but yeah, I think that'll just hopefully come over time as they like get deeper and deeper into the relationship. But, and I kind of, honestly, I really like a, more minor character relationship because I think it's fun to only see one side of it. Like yeah. I don't need to always see both sides of it. I just, I, th- I, I just want to trust him. I think my problem is that not, I agree. I don't have a problem with not seeing his side. I just want more of them. So when you want he, more of their moments, yes. I want more of their moments. And so like, we don't get that many, you know, I'm like sad, but maybe they'll come up with some reason why the chief of ambulances needs to move into 51 just like the district chief did i just i just need jimmy to i i like i hate deadline articles because obviously we've been burned by them many many times before but that is one deadline article i want to see happen where it says like he's made a series regular Regular. you know i just i need more of this relationship in my life i just i do i i don't disagree with you there i will they are the highlights lately yeah, they've really like saved season. I mean, some other things have also saved season ten, but like they really saved season ten for me. Totally. Um, of course, lots of listener thoughts. Everyone seems to love Hakami, so like lots of listener thoughts. Um, Elizabeth W said Hakami stands win again this week. Violet, please, y'all are dating. I love that she goes. It was a one night thing, and then cuts to the scene of them making out and tearing each other's clothes off, and that scene was just chef's kiss. I agree they're definitely dating they just haven't put a label on it totally totally um megan r said the hikami content was chef's kiss i hate that the conflict between brett and violet was about hawkins of all things um she did say one more thought could sylvia have been nicer with her approach to violet yes but she did have a point violet hawkins relationship could raise some eyebrows and have some could have some severe consequences if they're not careful about it sylvia was only looking out for her friend agreed agree totally um heather b said good on gala for apologizing to violet i think it shows that he recognized the immaturity in his comment 
And Jess B said, Kami continues to serve. Seriously, I just love them, okay? I'm slightly more okay with Sylvie's conversation about the dangers of that relationship because unlike Gallo's comments from last week, I know that Sylvie is coming from a place of concern. I think it also just hits different because Sylvie is a fellow woman in the department and so has to think about this stuff as well. I still hate the idea of people judging Violet because of her romantic relationships, but Sylvie's points weren't unrealistic either. The whole conversation came off more as it sucks that you have to consider how people are going to look at you and less of gallows you're making yourself look bad but at least he apologized that's a good point that was that's a good yeah way to con- compare them yeah um so again speaking of gallo we did get a little severide and gallo stuff which i will talk about more at the end because i kind of want to hear your thoughts on where this is going but so Gallo sees Severide do the rope rescue at the call from the very beginning of the episode and ask him about it when he gets back to 51. Um, and so Severide, you know, they go through like logistics stuff, whatever. And Gallo's like, oh, I'm thinking of signing up for the vertical rescue class at the academy, like pointing myself towards squad a little bit more. And Severide's like, yeah, I think you should. I think that'd be great. So Gallo goes down to the academy to like sign up for the course. But of course it's full. And he like... In his Galloway, he, like, isn't trying on purpose to name drop Severide, but he name drops Severide and thinking maybe that will help him, but it really doesn't. He's still, like, there's no way he's getting into this class. And Severide's, like, actually kind of annoyed by it at first. Like, he finds out that he got name dropped at the Academy, and, like, so he approaches Gallo about it, and he is just like, uh, yeah, don't do that again. He's like, there's a fine line between being driven and acting like a pain in the ass, which, like, is so true. And so Gallo, too. Like, Gallo definitely sometimes rides that line between, like, being driven and also just being a pain in the ass. Yep. And so on the way out of shift at the end of the episode, Severide stops Gallo and hands him a piece of paper and says, like, meet me at this address at 10 o'clock. So Gallo shows up to this random-ass parking garage and Severide tells him that, like, there was an injury in the rescue class and if Severide can get him caught up on the coursework, then that means Gallo can join right in. And so they're going to start with some rappelling down the side of this parking garage. And that's that. But I am curious. And we kind of talked about it with the episode description. Where do you think this is going? Like, are we going to end up with Gallo and squad? Like, where do you think this is going? I think it's too early for Gallo to switch over to squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is setting up, especially since we've now lost the mentor-mentee relationship between Gallo and Casey. Yeah. I think this, and I think Gallo has always, like, admired Severide's, like, I don't know, this, like, the cool stuff that Severide does. I think this is setting up, like, for an interesting story. I don't, like, we watched enough people try and make squad. It takes way longer than just, like, one class. So I would hope they'll keep that realistic and make him wait. Yeah, I definitely think he's now realized that maybe he wants to work towards it and maybe like an, even an end of season 10 or, you know, beginning of season 11 thing. Sure. I, I think, I think it's inevitable. Let's put it this way. I think it's inevitable that Gallo does end up a squad, right? Like it's going to happen at some point. I mean, even when Casey was still here, like there was the whole scene, like, I don't remember exactly which episode it was, but early season 10 when Gallo's like thinking about maybe he'd do it or whatever and he ultimately he's like yeah sure I'd love to do it one day but like I've still got a lot to learn from Casey so he decides against it for now but like I think it's inevitable that he does end up on squad yeah I just think 
unless we get some new blood in here, like Gallo then goes to squad and we're left with Stella and Mouch on truck. Like that also just seems kind of a little unrealistic, but like Gallo still feels like a baby to me. Like he still needs, like it wasn't, it didn't feel the same way as like when Mills made squad. Wait, wait, back. yeah, because Mills had been wanting to make squad for like years. And, well, and like, Mills asked working. about squad the minute he walks into the firehouse, right? And like work towards it, right? So, I think I, I, I would be interested to see if there's a world where like he can fill in on squad for a couple rides, yeah, um, just to like let him practice. But like I someone actually... goes on vacation or whatever, like Cap goes on vacation, and yeah, then, you know... and he's like out of shift and they're down one person, and so right. several rides, like, hey, do you want to hop on? Like, and we'll get a different and maybe floater. that's what that because I'm now I want to go back and like read this episode description. It says squad makes plans to prank the newest member of their team so like doesn't mean it's a permanent member right it could be in like a fill-in capacity i didn't even think about that but it could so i mean we'll see i i think what i'm most interested in one of the things that went through my head during this whole thing was we go from one scene like severide was pretty minor in this episode yeah and we go from one scene where he's being like so supportive and kind to stella and then he yells at And then Gallo. the next minute, he's, like, yelling at Gallo. And I'm, like, trying to reconcile in my head of, like, he's honestly not the nicest guy to other people. So, like, yeah. why is he so dreamy with the girl? Like, what? And then as I, like, another one that I pondered a while on. And I was, like, you know, I've behaved just like that. Where, like, somebody annoys me. So I immediately react with, like, the yeah. why. And then I think about it. I'm, like, actually, I really want to help them. Like, he is a hothead. He's always been a hothead. Like, Stella clearly calms him of it at times in ways. But, like, I think it was pretty normal. Um, but it was interesting because, like, you wanted to punch him. You wanted to be like, why are you being mean to Gallo? Like, well, Gallo did not mean to. Why is he being upset that his name was dropped? Even if Gallo had done it on purpose, right? Like, that he said, like, yeah, Severi, like, Kelly Severi told me to join. Like, what's so, like, that I think it was more of a, like, me. a cheat, like, like you're trying uh, i i think i kind of got it with the politics of like now this chief is calling me and being like why are you trying to get this kid to sneak into my class i don't have space like blaming kelly for it i mean it hurting kelly like it seems like there is a lot of politics in cfd that actually like yeah i bought and especially the way that that the guy who was training like said that like oh kelly severide like maybe they don't have a great relationship already like yeah, I guess. I don't know. That just seemed like to me, like you were harping on him for that. Like, that's really why you're like practically yelling at him. I don't know. It just right. A I didn't. Late. Yeah, I didn't love that he was yelling at him. And I also didn't love that, like, Kelly knows Gallo and like Gallo wasn't doing it. Like there are other guys right. who would have walked in and been like, like, there are other guys who I totally know would have dropped his name and like tried to negotiate. But like, yeah, Gallo was doing it totally innocently explaining right. why he was trying to get in. Yeah. Um, so we did have some listener thoughts. Uh, Megan said, Severide giving Gallo the wake-up call he needed was so damn satisfying. Thank you, Kelly. On the other hand, I did love that he helped out with Blake in the end. Gallo gets to play with his Uncle Sev now, um, which is cute. 
But um, and then Jess B said, I'm not so convinced about Gala going to squad. Maybe it's because I think Gala still has some growing up to do or maybe because 81 seems to be losing so many freaking members lately. But I kind of think he needs to stay on truck for a little bit longer. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But either way, 81 definitely needs at least two new members that are going to stick around, in my opinion, considering they usually or they used to consistently have five or six members and now are down to like three or four if they're lucky. Okay, so I was actually been wondering this. Because I felt like it was getting smaller. Yes. And I'm glad that somebody, and then I was watching like season one again, and I'm like, it was much bigger. Yeah. Because okay, so they, used, they are I mean, cutting people on truck. And I think it's just because of like character, you know, like oh, totally. we used to not have engine. Like we used to only be like truck, yeah. ambo, squad. And now, you know, you've got Herman and Ritter on engine. I think it just kind yeah. of spread out more. But yeah, you used to have like, I mean, I'm thinking back to the early seasons, right? Like you'd have Casey, Mouch, Herman, Cruz, even for a little bit. Cruz Otis. So that's uh-huh. five at one point. And then if you took. There was another person on it. Too. Gabby. Gabby was there for a little bit. Um, Gabby, there was another guy who was on it and then made squad. Oh, Mills. Mills was on it. Um. Like they there just, were, I remember counting in the pilot. I'm like, oh, they have a lot more guys. Wait, on hold on. Show. Casey, oh, now I need to count again. Casey, Otis, Cruz, Herman, Mouch, Mills, and Gabby. there was the one guy. There, there was the one guy who made squad pretty oh, early. Um, Vargas. Yes, the yeah. bald guy. Yeah, they had a lot in the beginning, and then obviously yeah. I think it kind of in the middle seasons, right? They got down to the point where it was just like. Stella, Casey, Mouch, um, Otis, Herman, and then obviously Herman. So, like, it got to a point where it was, like, I think five right. pretty consistently. Well, and there were debates around, like, if they, like, they did have an extra guy on. Like, they, they acknowledged, like, oh, we have an extra guy on here. We might not need to fill that full slot. We might. Because, right. like, when Gabby came in. So, like, they've acknowledged it. It ranges. Yeah. But yeah, they're definitely, if Gallo were to go to squad, they need new blood because they would yes. literally only be down to Stella and Mouch on 81. Um, and speaking of Mouch, we are going to end our fire section with the Herman and Mouch storyline, which again, this is something when, so it was in an episode description, Rachel, about like someone from their past coming back. I don't remember exactly what, but it used okay. the phrase like someone in their past. And I was like, oh, it's going to be like some old firefighter that we've never met before comes yeah. back or like someone they saved or yada, yada, yada. So like the fact that it ended up being Stephanides and about Molly's was totally unexpected for me. And I <laughs> loved it. Um, So basically someone stops by the firehouse looking for Herman who is out on a call and runs into Mouch. And it is Spiro, Spiro Stephanides, who is the previous owner of Molly's. Um, which again, just a really nice callback because we haven't talked about him in a long, long, long time. Um, he's basically tells Mouch like he's dying and you know, probably has like maybe a year left to live, and he wants to know if he can have one last night of making drinks behind the bar, like relive his glory days. And Mouch is like, Yeah, sure, of course, I don't see a problem with that, no big deal. So Herman comes back from the call, Mouch is filling him in, and Herman is not happy. He's like, oh, yeah, remember when he sold me half a bar, a bar that he only half owned of? And, like, I had to track down his ex-partner. He's like, remember when Arthur was a thing and we first met Jay doing undercover work? And I'm like, yeah, I do remember that. Because that was on Ion earlier that day or, like, the day before. And so I was like, I just literally watched that. It was bad. Man, Jay, when we, 
I love those. I mean, I hated the Arthur of it all, but I did love the way they introduced Jay. Jay was introduced so well. So so good. It was so good. Um, But yeah. So Herman is, of course, reluctant to let the guy work behind the bar, but like, he's like, okay, fine. I guess we can't give him a chance. So Stephanides shows up to the bar and Herman lets him make drinks, whatever. But then things get a little rowdy, like when his old regulars show up and... So they all show up for shift the next day and Herman just like can't stop complaining about like how rowdy everything was that the old regulars made Herman's other regulars leave early, you know, and he's like, they even cleared out all the alcohol and like didn't pay for any of it. He comped it all. Yada, yada, yada. So Stephanides shows up at shift and like thanks to him, them for making his dream come true and brings them a huge wad of cash. And of course, Herman then. Once Herman sees the cash, he's like, oh, maybe they're not so bad after all. Like, you know. And so they're leaving shift. And basically, Kat makes a comment to Herman about, like, whether the rowdy crowd will be at Molly's again. And Herman's like, no. And Cruz is like, well, darn. He's like, we had so much fun. He's like, once they closed down Molly's, we went to another bar and spent a bunch of money with them. Like, they were awesome. And, of course, Herman is, like, mad because they spent money. And all Herman cares about is money, money, money. So, Herman's been bugging me lately. Really? I love Herman. But, like, he was so, like, skeptical of Stephanides. And when you compare that to, like, early fire Herman, who was so gullible, uh-huh. that, like, it was hard for me to reconcile that. Like, he's just so mean and skeptical of people. And I, we've not, I just think maybe it's that we've not had any good, like, Herman good-hearted moments lately that his like grouchiness and like I I just need a little bit of a softer Herman moment with someone like I don't know what it is but that that part of it really like especially having like been watching reruns of season one and watching him be so gullible and crazy and then here he can't trust this old man who like says he's dying and like isn't gonna steal money from him and just reams him out without even waiting like I was just like between him and Severide being mean I was like can you guys just chill I mean yeah I guess I get it but I think the funny you know is that like Herman has trust issues with this guy right because of the fact that like he sold him the bar when he really shouldn't have like he brought him Arthur you know yada 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 Molly's almost burned down you know like ultimately because of this guy like you know he has a little it's, bit of no, it's totally valid. I just I love Herman so much that sometimes when I've seen too much of grouchy Herman, I get right. sad because I want the like sweet Herman back. Yeah. I you know, that. you really I like really miss the her like when Herman had like Herman's had some good moments. Like with Gabby, Herman had some really great moments. Yeah. And then with like um when Stella lived at his place, he had some really great mm-hmm. moments. And I think I miss those. Yeah. And so when it was just a like Herman Mouch story and Herman harping on Mouch for being an idiot, like I'm kind of like, okay, I can do without those. I get that. I get that. Um, any other thoughts about fire? No, overall great episode. Yeah. I really enjoyed this one. I really did. All right. As we always say, stretch it out. It's time for PD. It's time for PD. Okay. Like I said earlier, honestly, we're really not going to touch on the case because I still don't really know if I understand. And I'm not sure we ever cared about a case less. Like, honestly. I enjoyed this. I actually paid more attention to this case than usual. 
Yeah. Well, normally, especially because, like, you know, Rachel, we're, we're on East Coast time. By the time 10 right. o'clock hits for PD, I am like, okay, I'm doing good to, like, absorb the personal, let alone, like, the case with all the details and whatever. Yeah. But by the time I watch for a second time the next day, I'm like, okay, I got it. The case, I got it. But even watching the second and, like, I watched, like, half or parts of it again and, you know, for, like, the Berzik parts mainly, but, like, again... I still have no idea. Like, I'm like, okay, something about a coal, like, I mean, you know, they also spent yeah. a lot of time on the case and going back and forth, which was great. Obviously, we don't really get that much personal usually. So I liked that part. But like, I just, this is not a case that did anything for me. So like, we're not really going to talk about it. It doesn't matter that much. I do want to say I did like, and I wrote, I was like, I, I wrote it down, didn't remember what it was. Now I'm remembering. I liked that the theme of the crime was about like they actually and they don't usually do this. They wrapped in the theme of the like case yeah. with the theme of the personal story. And I thought that was like really well done because you had this like attempt at going too far with family and then you're trying to justify a family. And I think overall that was like a really eloquent way to tell both stories at the same time. I agree. I think they that I wouldn't have picked up on it necessarily in the first time I watched it, but having rewatched it now again, I do like that parallel. I think that worked well, even though I still don't understand all the minute details of the case. Oh no, didn't know the minute detail. Yes, you're yeah. not wrong there. Um, but it is. I mean, we got a Halstead Atwater pairing in the car, which again we don't ever see that pit combo, so that was great. And that's really about it. That's all we're going to talk about the case. We are going to talk about Berzik, though, obviously, because I just, this episode broke my heart. <laughs> it was good. It was good. And hard. Like, yeah. So it starts, Berzik-wise, you get these, like, West Wing-esque shots of them, like, walking into the building, like, down the hallway to the attorney's office, and it's just, like, amazing. Except it's not because they, you know, think they're about to lose Michaela. So, of course, like, Adam is all, like, protective, protective, protective. He is just pointing out, he's like, who cares if the uncle has money and a yard? He's like, you know, this is bullshit, whatever. But, of course, Illinois is the best interest of this child state. So, like, realistically, like, they could lose if the judge decides that, you know, money in a big yard is what isn't, you know, in the best interest of the child. And so the whole time, though, and we don't know why, and it's something that we see throughout the episode, like, the whole time, Kim is playing with this piece of, like, colored glass in her hand. And, you know, she just says, you know, like, we got this. Um, or Adam says, you know, like, we got this. We do. And, like, again, he's always, especially in this, he's always seems to be the one who's strong for Kim. Um, even though Kim is not someone who, like, breaks down, but, like, you can definitely tell it's like weighing on her mind emotionally and that like emotionally she's not with it yet that acting was great that acted like her way of like breaking down without breaking down is really impressive so before they go into the hearing they have a little bit of time and so kim leaves to go run some errands and she's in her car and she's like resisting the whole time to like turn her radio on and then you can see the moment where she decides to do so, like hoping obviously to pick up a case. And like, clearly she's doing that as like a coping mechanism because she doesn't want to think about Michaela and like what she may lose and having to go through all this court stuff. And it's just like, 
is that a healthy like thing that cops do like to distract themselves like it it's is healthy so thing. I'm worried it's, for them i'm not gonna it's not healthy it's a thing that these cops do and we've seen right. it before they like <laughs> i don't know if real cops do love to know that right because like obviously like like i said you can tell how bad she needs the distraction but like the fact that the how brutal the crime scene in doesn't even bother her and that, like, that's what she's gonna use to distract herself from like the fact that she may lose her child is just like wow yeah i'd like to teach her some healthy distraction habits yeah not gonna happen probably but i would like that too so adam pulls her aside and he's like listen he's like we gotta go back to court so they go back to court and first up the uncle is on the stand and this guy just like kisses Theo's ass and like they're talking up how great he is he like had an engineering degree got a job in Germany that's where he met his wife they just moved back to Chicago six months ago like yada 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 all this stuff and it's just like if this guy really was and I'm sure he is a fine well maybe not if he stole Michaela which we'll get to later but if this guy is supposedly like so great, then it does bring up the point of like, where were you when, you know, your niece's family was murdered in cold blood? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But he says, he's like, you know, my wife and I were never able to have kids. So like, of course, you know, we would love to have Michaela in our lives. And he's like, but I didn't even know Michaela existed until I came to Chicago, like at all. And then he makes the comment about, like, he says, you know, while he's looking at Kim, of course, too, he's like, I'm sure that Miss Burgess is a good person. And I'm just like, listen, you don't know anything about Kim Burgess. Like, stop. Say, like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't. You just don't. And then it keeps, like, honestly just gets worse because he says, he's like, you know, I believe in my heart that she should be with family, real family. And I just, like, I just want to throw shit. Like, I just want to throw shit. Like, of course they're her real family. Like, family is not just about blood. And she has no idea who they are. Right. Right. And then, of course, it's like, the attorney asks the question, basically, of like, did you ever think about this in racial terms? Yeah, obviously, of course, because Kim being a white woman, Michaela being a black girl, and he's theo says no and it's just like that is so bullshit they're obviously like that's the card they're trying to play but like really, really? the way that was asked as a way to like raise it oh it was so dirty yeah it's just like really you're gonna play that card of like no i've never thought about it like bullshit but even not even like that that's how they played that card by asking a yes or no question that actually raises mm-hmm. the racial terms oh yeah so awful so Something pops off for the case and Burgess is like, uh, Ruzik says he's going to go. And then Burgess is like, I'll go with you. And he's like, no, he's like, you're going to go home. He's like, you go be with Mac. Like you guys need each other. And so she goes home. She listens to Adam. She goes home. And like Michaela and Kim have this like cute hug when she like basically like as soon as Kim's walk through the door, like I just, I can't even. It was amazing. It's so cute. And so Michaela mentioned, she's like, me and my friend are going to be in a school skit tomorrow. And like, we decided to have our matching hair, which of course is like, she shows Kim the picture in the magazine or whatever. And it's like braids with beads. So Kim 
tries. She tries. I'm so impressed she tried. Yeah, she tries. And then she says, she's like, you know, we're going to call your uncle Kevin, which like we've just been waiting for her to say that for so long. Like Uncle Kevin. And it was honestly more glorious than I thought it was going to than I ever <laughs> thought it would be. I love that. And I love literally the scene after it too. So they show up at Kevin's door. Kevin opens the door and Bert just makes a joke about like, you're going to hold this over for me, like over me. I know it or something like that. And then like Kevin calls Michaela queen. Like they have their own little handshake. And I'm just like the whole time I'm like, I'm not crying. You're crying. Like it's so cute. It's, it's good. So it was the whole time. Well, as it went on the whole time, I was thinking about your interview with LaRoyce. And how good he was at, like, holding, like, when you asked, like, are there going to be any more Birchwater moments? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he kept that secret so well because we were just about to see this. It was so good, too. Like, honestly, better than Lori's hyping it up as it was. Like, it's so good. And so Kevin's aunt ends up helping out Michaela. And so he, while they're doing that, he and Burgess have a heart-to-heart. Is this okay? Black kid, white cop, this city. Man, I'm not gonna act like this is some colorblind fairy tale. But between Michaela God is solid as hell. Yeah, I know. That's true, Sarah. It just it hurt to hear in court. But Burgess, you are good for her. You know that. I do. But to have to prove it. I love this because one of my favorite things about PD has always been this friendship. And I feel like we obviously saw a lot of it in the beginning. And then I feel like in recent seasons, it's shifted a lot more towards music and Atwater. And I get why they've done that, but like, I've really been missing the Birdwater friendship. And this was just really nice to see because Kevin also understands too. Obviously it's a little different because he was guardians to his siblings and not like, kids he was trying to adopt and like make his children but he he's the closest one besides Voight like Lori said this in our interview like he is the closest one that Burgess can go to because he's the only one who's been a parent like Jay and Haley aren't parents I mean Ruzik kind of gets it I guess a little bit but like that's something that Burgess and Atwater like have in common and they can bond over and I just I really appreciated seeing them having this conversation and I love the setting of it like it was it was the perfect it wasn't just like he has kids but it was the kind of thing that she needed help with as a white woman Mm -hmm. and she like he serves this both their conversation and all of the things he's had to reckon with as being a black cop and then being able to bring his perspective as a surrogate parent and then also a black man who had the resources, who was able to help her. Like it was, it was the perfect, like, it was a really great way to set this up and set up like how that, that little Berzik family actually has, it, yeah. Kevin has a role in it. Yeah. Kevin is truly Michaela, like uncle Kevin. Right. And she needs that uncle. Like that is actually a key necessity that she's going to need growing up. Or at least that Burgess and uh, Ruzik are going to need growing up because you can't, like, they have to recognize that it's, I love the, this is not some colorblind fairy tale. Like, this is something that they are going to have to deal with Mm -hmm. forever. And so, like, 
Kevin there as that support support system is going to be so important. Yeah. I, yeah. So later on, later in the episode, Kim gets a call from her attorney and basically like Rusek finds her in the garage thing, whatever. And he, she tells him that apparently the judge is going to let Theo's lawyers access her medical records, her personnel file, you know, everything. And she's like, that's their case. Like, that's their argument. She's like, I can't possibly offer Michaela a stable home because I almost died and I was offered a desk job and I came back to this. She's like, I chose this. And she just says, Adam, she's like, we're going to lose her. Like, we're going to lose Michaela. So, again, there's a lot of stuff we're skipping over because obviously we're skipping over the case. But so at the end of the case part, we see Kim like shoot the guy and she goes like, some of the colored glass had fallen out of her pocket. So she goes after it and picks it all up. And again, we still don't know the symbolic nature of the glass, like why it's important to her. We just see her rush after it, pick it up. So then we see Kim and Adam go back to court. And this time Kim is on the stand and she pours her heart into why she, you know, what all, what she's feeling right now. The CPD has given you ample opportunity to take desk work after this incident. You overruled your own doctors, insisted on going back to intelligence. When was the last time someone fired a weapon at you? About four hours ago. <laughs> Michaela's favorite snack is tortilla chips dipped in whipped cream. It's, well, it's disgusting, but she'll trade me for it for eating her veggies. So, you know, you do what you do. She collects these pieces of sea glass. We go up to Loyola Beach on Sunday mornings if I'm not working, and she's obsessed with them. My pockets are full of them. Sometimes I think they're multiplying. Your Honor. Michaela's discovered that we have a freckle inside of the same toe and the same foot, and she's decided that we can communicate as a result telepathically. So when she's at school, like in the middle of the day, she sends me happy thoughts. And when I come home, I'm supposed to know what those happy thoughts were, which is hard. You were right about pretty much everything. I don't have a ton of money. I don't have a ton of time, a big house. Yes, Adam Ruzik, my ex-fiance, is moving in with us. I don't know how to explain that, except that we're family. And yes, I almost died and went back to a job when I didn't have to, but it was what I needed then, and it's what I want now. I'm good at my job, I help people, and I'm proud that my kid sees me doing that. I am a mess, and I make mistakes. Michaela, that's something that I've done pretty damn right. Theo, I, I get what you're trying to do, truly, truly I do. But what Michaela and I have, you can't just snap your fingers and make that up. It's real. She's my family. And I'm hers. I love this. I love everything. About, I, by the end, by the time Kim gets to the end and she's like, you know, what Michaela and I have, like, you just can't snap your fingers and make that up. Like, it's real. Like, I was like an emotional wreck. I was like, this is so heartfelt. The writer who came up with, like, this whole monologue, like, so much respect. Like, the whole freckle thing is just so funny. Oh, my God. But it's, it's also, like, what a kid would do. Yeah. Like, somebody clearly, like, who has a kid who came up with this thing. Like, yeah. this has to be real because this is just so cute. 
Well, and I love the part too, where she she eventually gets to the part in her whole monologue thing about like she's like, yeah, you know, Adam, like, yeah, yeah, it's weird that like he's moving in with us, and she's like, I don't know how to explain it except we're family because we obviously as viewers who've been on this journey with them for nine seasons now, like we get that like, yeah, while we all want them to probably be like romantically together, like it doesn't matter because they're family at the end of the day. And like, we don't have to give an expo, like it just is what it is. But to some outsider, like, yeah, I get it. It's probably a little weird, but she's like, I don't know how to explain it except that we're family. Yep. I, just, I, I loved love that. that. And yeah. I, I never thought about it like with, to the outsider, but um, she phrased it so well. And it was like, it, it mean, I was worried. Like, honestly, when it finished, I was like, ugh, is that part going to ruin it? Like, don't bring up Adam. Like, yeah, we've heard, we've heard with like, when Gabby and Casey were trying to adopt Louie, the like man to be married, I was like, don't make this harder for yourself than it is. But like, I'm glad with the outcome it got, I'm glad it worked. Yeah. And I also, the other part of this I really appreciated too was I really liked her say, you know, like I'm, you know, when she had to then justify her job, which obviously she likes her job. She wants to, she's not planning to leave her job anyway, but I liked her seeing saying, you know, like I help people and I'm proud that my kid sees me doing that. Yes. Like, you know, yes. her so job. Much. Yes, I know her job obviously has some negative connotations as just a police officer in general. Um, obviously, police relationships to the black community. But then also um, the fact that she just gets shot at at the time is probably not a great choice, job choice for a parent. But like, you know, at the end of the day, like her kid can be proud of the fact that she is a police officer because of that and I just I really appreciated that too I do need to ask though yes I do I, I'm asking of Kim to I think when we go back to her coping mechanism with trying to pick up a, a, a brutal case like as a parent I would respect if she could learn some better coping mechanisms instead of putting herself unnecessarily at risk that is fair very fair and I think Adam has got, like, I, I will be interested to see how that changes because we've seen situations where Adam, like, has moved slower or done something in this fear of being a parent. Um, and I have, I have yet to see it as much from Kim other than her, like, freak out earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But so the next day, I'm assuming it's the next day. We don't actually have a time. But the next day, I'm just going with the next day. Um, Kim gets a call at work and she, we don't know what she says initially or what is said initially, but so she goes home that night. She finds Adam coming home with pizza and champagne and she returns home and like tells him the good news that like Michaela's theirs. Like she is their child. We do we do- really think she didn't call him first? I don't know. Like she got all the way home. She didn't know he was getting pizza. Like, I was, I know this is stupid to be obsessing over, but I was really like, really, you you went all the way home and didn't tell him? Maybe it's something she wanted to do in person. Like, see, I guess, but like, I don't know. That's a good, it's an interesting point. Um, I believe that. I guess because she was surprised by the pizza that it was kind of like, it wasn't like a, hey, we, do you want to come over? type thing it was like uh, was he coming over anyway I don't know I want to well, know lives what there. Happened. he's been living on the well, couch he lived, remember but like but, right I knew that but it was more of a like did she say like can you go pick up food I'm on my way home or like why was oh. he already like why was that timing so perfect 
Oh, I, I, or was fair. it? Am I fair. now just being like fair? They were setting up a good scene. Just leave yeah, it. I, I think they were also just setting up a good scene. Just leave it, <laughs> uh, because that scene, like I said, they're happy, jump in each other's arms. We get a kiss, which we haven't gotten a person kiss in a long time, and a lot of people were quick to point out that like she leaned in first. So like for that was a Burgess initiated kiss, not an Adam initiated kiss. Very important. But then, and then before, his- but even before shit hits the fan, I love that it just happened and they kept walking. Yeah. Like there was no like what just happened. There was no like reaction. It was just like, now let's go get our, like, let's like, go. That felt right for the moment. And it was what it was. And it's not weird because we are already in a weird, messy Unknown right place. I, and I loved that because like uh, a less good version of it would have been like uh-oh we need to talk about this and it was like no not right now yeah like it's so that that really was like to me a like that made that kiss even better because it was just like not even acknowledged it just happened and it went yeah but like I said so then shit hits the fan and they get home they get to their apartment they open the door and they find their babysitter Gabby bleeding out in the middle of the room floor she's like basically dead by the time they get to her and she they like ask her like what you know who took me you know where's Michaela or whatever and she like tries to say words and I think that's when she dies I she's like dead basically and may basically end with Michaela gone and yeah I've never felt the floor ripped out of me so quickly like I said, I kind of, it was a theory going around, so I wasn't, like, shocked, I guess, but I was still, like, it hurt way worse than I thought it was going to. I had no idea anything was coming and was just like, oh, we're gonna, like, I get to end my night on a happy note with a smile, and then, um, no. Yeah. It's just, it's bad. I need it's- some happiness out of PD. I know. And next week does not look any no any less grim. I need them to have like some kind of joke, Kate. Like <laughs> I need a fake episode. Maybe that's the fan fiction world too. I just need a like all happy and smiles for one week. <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna happen. That's definitely fan fiction. Never gonna happen. I am curious, so where do you see this going, like, next week? I mean, obviously, I'm sure they find Michaela. I don't think we end up, you know, like, I get that. But, like, and we all I don't assume think it was her. I don't think it's her uncle. You don't I think, think they're going to. I think it's going to be the, uh, like, I think he will be a suspect. Uh-huh. But I think it's related to her family's murder. Do you and think, it, like, though, Michaela still ends up with them? Oh. I if that's the so. case, if it's not the uncle who took her, like, do you think then they, they still- take that as a like, yeah, I think so. Because especially if it has nothing. Well, then the other scenario is it doesn't have to do with somebody that like the squad hurt in a previous case. And it's not anything to do with Michaela. They're just trying to get even with Kim or Adam. Yeah. And like that could then justify potentially the uncle being like this is unsafe for this girl yeah i don't know i i kind of hope this this part this storyline of like this uncle trying to take her back is done yeah i just i hope that obviously they find michaela and that she's safe and that 
I don't want her to go back to the uncle. I want her to stay with the Bersics. So I'm going to say that I'm going to manifest it. And I'm going to say that's what happens. Um, Maybe it would be better if the uncle was behind all this. Yeah, because then it would justify. I mean, not that we already have. Obviously, they got awarded Michaela in the beginning. But I feel like that would just cement that they were supposed to be. You know. I just wanted in a fantasy world that she does have a blood relative who cares for her. So that like. Right. And isn't he can maintain terrible. some kind of relationship and like not be fully traumatized by by her entire like blood family like like yeah. it kind of like I almost wanted and I knew it was not I, I'm glad it didn't happen because it, it didn't feel as realistic and set but I almost wanted him to get awarded her and then them just him decide like but she actually belongs with them yeah because like his character doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would actually do that and so that again felt like that would be too easy to wrap up yeah but I would like I, I do think it would be it would be very nice for her to have like a few more adults who care about her yeah also we didn't bring this up earlier but i feel like it's important to point out michaela is seven and she's already been through so much traumatic shit in her life like why do we have why did we have to do this to michaela of all people true true she is seven leave her alone please for the love of god a lot of therapy in her life she already needed therapy and now she's never she's like if there was she's ever never gonna be chance, out of therapy if there was ever a chance she could have not been in therapy this just added like i don't know how many more years of therapy to her life i'm really tired of the like let's kidnap the children storylines yeah pd <laughs> feel like done there's it now. been too much let's see pd captured both of antonio's kids um, that already felt like too much. Why does Antonio have to have both of his kids kidnapped? Yeah, Michaela. I'm trying to think. Did that guess- one of Atwater's siblings? No, not kidnapped, but there's been some shit that happened to them. Technically, Justin Voigt was, I guess, was kidnapped. Oh, yeah, he was kind of kidnapped at kind the of end. in the end, which that's a horror, horrible death, and I don't like to think about it, but technically, I guess, kidnapped. Yeah. It's a lot of kidnapped. And wasn't the baby kidnapped? No, the baby oh, was Voight's grandson no. was, right? No, that was when she was still pregnant and, you know, they, like, yes. held her against her will, you know? Yeah. Like, like, can we leave their family members alone? For real, though. For real, though. And, like, let's, let's let Jay and Haley, Haley have uh let their let their kids be kept off camera. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Um, so of course, lots and lots, lots of listener comments on this because everyone, of course, has feelings about this. Um, Tom R said, My heart broke when I heard Kim call herself a loser. Kim Burgess, you were not a loser. You are a badass, Burgess. Also, the end makes me want to pull a Gina, Gina and throw shit. That's hysterical. Because Gina does say that a lot. <laughs> That's hysterical. Um, I can hear it in her voice. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth said, first, how did it take nine seasons for us to have some sort of cult storyline? Because I don't think we've had one if my memory serves correct. Um, Second, that ending. Oh, my God. I was so happy when we hear that they get to keep Mac. And then the birds that kiss, my heart exploding. And then Adam calling Mac our girl just floored me. Then it all really went to hell really fast. I feel the most obvious answer is the uncle because something to me was off with him and his wife when they realized Kim was most likely going to win. His wife gives him a little nod and I don't trust people who do that. 
I am kind of excited, though, to see the team looking for Mac. It reminds me of when they looked for Antonio's kids, Diego and Ava, both times. You know what? I really like that outlook on it. Like, this could be a fun crime to solve. Yeah, it will be. Maybe this will be the actually the one time I'm really invested in a case because it's about someone I care about and not just some random, you know, whatever. Um, but anyway, so Megan R said our prayers have been answered with the Uncle Kev scene. Oh, how he missed Birchwater. Um, and she also said badass Burgess came out in the courtroom. You fight for her girl and it paid off. However, I'm not happy with the ending scene. I mean, is anyone happy with the? I was gonna say scene. Can somebody come out and say, like, I loved it. I needed that to happen. I just want to know. Yeah. Um, Heather B said, can someone tell intelligence that turning on their radio and fielding homicides is not a good, healthy way to shit out their personal problems? This is one where I could have cared less about the case and kind of wish they had treated it like the Cruz and Herman episode where they were trapped in an elevator listening to the fire on, you know, of the episode and let the team solve it on the periphery so that the focus could just be on Kim and Michaela because there was just so much going on outside of the case. That's a great reference. Yeah, I could I could see that, too. Uh, PD doesn't really do like a ton, a ton of like bottle episodes, but like this definitely could have been, you know, something. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Adam, do we think what Kim says during her testimony about her, Adam and Michaela being a family and real was a callback to when she told Adam that what they had was not real because they were only close because they were only close because they lost the baby. Does that mean Kim is finally seeing that Adam is there for her because he's madly in love with her? History says she probably still doesn't, but the wording was just a nice reminder that she's also changed a lot, not just Adam. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that is, yeah. Um, and then she said, Adam showing up with pizza and champagne was such a rusic move, but I could not even enjoy the sweet moment they had because it was about that time that I realized it was Michaela that was going to go missing and I was freaking out. I think safe to say that nobody is okay after the ending. Um, true. Jess B said, literally my only complaint in this episode is why the fuck won't these writers let members of intelligence care about what's going on in each other's lives? Aside from Kev and the like one vague line from Voight, no one seemed to care that Kim and Adam were going to court to keep the kid. They literally came right from court. Kev asked them how it went and Jay and Haley didn't even turn around. Like, what the fuck? They don't have to be all up in each other's business all the time, but at this point, it's getting a little weird by how little they interact with each other. That's literally my only complaint. Otherwise, I love this episode, and I'm just pissed that I have to wait a week to see how everything goes, because I swear if they don't get MacBat safe, I'm going to riot. Um, and then Haley G sent us a long, like, I took kind of the highlights from this, because it was a long, long email, but it offered a different perspective, so I'm going to read a good portion of it because i think it her points are valid and but it like said it offers a different perspective so and Haley g is one of our patrons and she's like one of the biz- biggest berzik fans i know so and she prefaces that she's like i love berzik they're my favorite thing about one chicago i love kim burgess too but she did not like last night's episode and she says this adoption storyline isn't working for me. I know I'm in the minority, but I personally don't think the writers have done a good job at making me believe any of this. I'm not against adoption in any way, shape, or form, and I love children, so that's not it. 
I just don't like when TV shows take an adoption storyline and don't take time to tell the full story. As someone who has had friends who've been adopted and knows people who've gone through the adoption process, it's not as easy a connection as TV makes it out to be, which is why I usually prefer for writers to do something else. I think first, I think that's valid. I do. Well, I it's working for me, but I understand why it's not working from her because I do agree that I think sometimes TV just makes it seem like adoptions like, okay, we went and adopted a child. Okay. We're done. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Um, I'm feeling this too. I, um, I never like, I love Michaela. I love the relationships, but Haley just phrased it in a way that's always kind of bothered me as well. So I'm glad she raised that. Yeah. And I mean, like I, you know, I have a cousin that was adopted and I can remember, I mean, I was young then, like I was nine by the time they went and, you know, cause she's, it was an international adoption. So by the time they went and got her and brought her home, I would like, I remember parts of it, but like, it's a long process. Like it's not like in a day or in, you know, weeks, like it just happens. It doesn't, it's not how it happens. But like I said, I still like the Michaela storyline, but I do think I understand her point and I think her point is valid. Yes. Okay. I've definitely had to suspend some disbelief here and like acknowledge this isn't how it would go down in real life. Yes. She said, I am not in agreement with the uncle, but I do think the lawyer made two good points. The show has never addressed the race issue when it comes to Kim and Michaela. Eventually, they have to have a conversation about what is happening in the world. And Kim's answer cannot be talk to Uncle Kevin. Kevin should not have to be the one to explain race to the white characters every single time. The white characters need to be educating, also need to be educating themselves, especially Burgess if she's going to raise a black child as a white woman. What happens when Michaela wants to have friends over and her friend's parents won't let them because she's being raised by cops and there's a fear of cops in the community? How do Kim and Adam address the race issues that police face with her? Eventually, she's going to hear about it, even as a child, so that should be addressed. That is such a good point. Yes. Also a very excellent point. I mean, I I think there was one conversation maybe last year, what had been last year, we didn't have Michaela before then, um, last season where like Kevin and Kim maybe had like a slight conversation about it, but like, you're right. They should have a conversation more than just one conversation last year. Yeah. And I do, I, I really like the, her comment of the answer cannot be talked to uncle Kevin. Right. Um, and I'm thinking even about what I said earlier. And I liked I liked that she went to Kevin as a cultural thing, not knowing what to do. But I hope she doesn't take to abusing that, that really or, or, or just overwhelming Kevin in any way that's not necessary. I want him to be a resource and a help to them, but I don't want him to feel overburdened by yeah. his role here. Well, and I think her point is right. And we've mentioned it on the podcast before that like the problem is PD has no diversity other than Lori's being Kevin. And so it's hard because he then has to funnel like all race stories to somehow funnel through him. And like, it shouldn't be like that. I mean, we don't even have any other diversity whatsoever, let alone another black character on the show. And so that's just, if things hadn't fallen apart with Celeste and Kevin, she could have gone, Kim could have gone to another woman. That would have been interesting to ask for help. But I, yeah, I definitely agree that like every race storyline has funneled through Kevin and it's like, I get it. We get it. Kevin is your black character. You have to do this, but like, you know, it does get a little tiring after a while. Yeah. Um, 
And then she said, my second point is Kim's PTSD. This franchise in general has to do a better job at showcasing the mental health of first responders after a traumatic incident. Everyone's trauma is different, so I'm not comparing, but what Kim went through was pretty traumatic. I want to see her therapy. I want to know how Kim is working on these issues. How is she coping? Michaela is traumatized as well, so how do they face trauma together? How does Kim explain her trauma as a traumatized person? Can we see them in therapy together? What if Michaela had found Kim's gun when she was living in fear of Roy? You can't just sweep mental health under the rug, especially as a parent. Her just saying, I don't know in regards to how she will handle it doesn't work for me. What are you doing to help yourself so you can help her? Again, just another, it's another valid point. It is. Yeah, I mean, I think about having binged the show. I honestly can't separate out the number of times that, like, Kim is in the hospital and something traumatic is happening. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's constant. Like, all of them. And so I worry about all of them with children. Yeah. Um, And then Haley's last point says... I love a versed kiss and I will never not be appreciative of it, but it seemed a little odd that she would kiss him after everything they went through in 910 where she lectured him on boundaries. But I don't care because she kissed him and that means everything to me as a versed shipper. Again, Haley made a lot of, I, again, I, it, some of her points bother me. Like again, the Kevin stuff, like I get where she's coming from. It doesn't bother me in the fact that I, I still like the Michaela adoption storyline. I think something about it just works for me, but I understand. I think Haley's points are very valid. And I think, and like I said, there was more in the email that Haley sent and she laid it out all very well and very articulate. I just, I don't, like I said, it's not to the point where it bothered. It's stuff that bothers me and makes me don't not like the storyline. But agreed. Definitely very valid points, Haley, for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for the PD. Any other Berzik PD thoughts, Rachel? No, I think we got everything. I think we got everything too. So I, guys, that we've made it. This was a long one. There was a lot to discuss, but we did it. That's, we did it. That's it. it. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me this week. I, I, we've been wanting to do this for a really long time and I'm, as sad as I am that Gina is not here to join in our three conversation I have really enjoyed this and I'm really glad you did this episode with me so thank you this was so much fun anytime um so where can our listeners find you on Twitter if they want to follow you you know all that stuff where can they find you rh becker 18 on twitter and rachel also we know rachel through atx so rachel also watches a bunch of other tvs so i'm sure she would talk to you about whatever else she's watching too which what are you watching right now um i just finished yellowstone which is so much fun um i went from being like this is the most ridiculous show ever to being like don't hurt these people ever um such a good show and then i i don't know what's next for me after finishing like after finishing fire i'm like or all of one chicago i'm like it feel and my life feels a little empty not having that constant tv thing yeah i get that i've been like in my like because i feel like i was telling gina this the other day that like 
ever since I had COVID, like, so like end of January, beginning of February, I feel like for the most part, I fall, I fell behind just like on all my current, besides one Chicago, like all my current TV shows. So this week I've really tried to like play catch up and like I've caught up on what, oh, 911 Lone Star and How I Met Your Father and, you know, like all these I am loving that one. I'm really enjoying it, but I'm not a How I Met Your Mother. Like I've never seen the original. So I think it bothers me less than- Honestly, I don't even think about it that way. It's like, to me, it's just the happy rom-com that I, I'm craving. I really, uh, we'll, we'll talk, we can talk about this off too, but like, I really enjoyed it, but I was having a conversation with our friend Ashley the other day and Ashley really enjoyed How I Met Your Mother and she's and not. And she's struggling with it. Yeah. She does not like How I Met Your Father at all. Yeah. I've, I've talked to her a little bit as well about it um, and I've yeah. kind of separated it out. But um, um, yeah, I've done a lot of like since Chicago, I've done a lot of really short binges, which has been nice, like a, a bunch of HBO miniseries um, and catching up on stuff. But I'm not watching much live. Like my live stuff is like nothing. This is us, the resident. And that's about it. And I'm not really bought into much of it this year. Yeah. Lately, I stopped watching my TBR and I just watch reruns of Chicago Fire on Tuesdays. Um, no shame. And I think PD on Thursdays. No shame. No shame. So, no but shame. Yeah. Um, but yeah, guys, that's like I said, that's it. Um, as always, you can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Obviously, you can find us, you know, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Meet Us at Molly's. Um, our Patreon is linked in our bio. Um, if you want to follow us individually on Twitter, you can follow Gina at Gina Watches TV, and I am at Brianna Kate Thirteen. Um, there is a new episode next week, so we will be back next Friday with covering whatever else comes next. I don't even know anymore. I I don't. But anyway, so yeah, I think that's it. And until then, we will see you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>